why don't we blow the system up? I mean, obviously, we can't just turn off the spigot on the system we have and then say, hey, everyone in the world should get this new vaccine we haven't given to anyone yet. But there must be some way that we grow vaccines mostly in eggs the way we did in 1947. In order to make the transition from getting out of the tried and true egg growing, which we know gives us results that can be you know, beneficial. I mean, we've done well with that, to something that has to be much better. Uh, you have to prove that this works, and then you've got to go through all of the clinical trials, phase ones, phase twos, phase three, and then show that this particular product is going to be good over a period of years. That alone, if it works perfectly, is going to take a decade. There might be a need or even an urgent call for uh, an entity right. of excitement out there that's completely disruptive, that's not beholden to bureaucratic strings and, and, and processes. So we really do have a problem of how the world perceives influenza, and it's going to be very difficult to change that unless you do it from within and say, I don't care what your perception is, we're going to address the problem in a disruptive way and in an iterative way, because you do need both. But Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to hack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Thursday, October 20th. Oops, forgot I started with that. Thursday, October 20th, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. Got a big show for you today. It's kind of teeter-tottering these days where I get some, I squeak out a quick show when I've got time and then I dump everything out four-hour show. That's kind of what it feels like lately. I just, there's so much going on that I, I need to get some of this out of my brain. Otherwise it makes me go crazy. I mean, jokingly, but there's so much to include today. I'm going to do my best not to make it extremely as long as we had that last show a couple of days ago, but nonetheless, stay tuned to the end because there's an entirely, I mean, this is one of those shows where I really tried to connect everything from start to finish. We're going to start with a couple of different points. I think are just kind of interestingly related to how crazy things are today and a little bit of foreign policy, but we're going to, there's a big section today on Ukraine. Not so much overlapping things we've talked about before, but in the same vein of the conversations we've had, just continuing to prove to you what's really going on there and how clearly they're not talking about it. Some interesting conversations about some stuff that's in their constitution, some information about stuff that's going on in certain locations. And it just, and, and really to, to finalize the point, of how all of this creates justification for what the U.S. government is actually calling for now, which will probably scare you. And then, of course, we're going to get into the COVID-19 conversation around the vaccine or the injection and the CDC and what just happened. Now, obviously, there's a large there's nuance that needs to be discussed within this conversation. that You can't really fit into a title. But we'll go over this in the show today. But as we briefly made clear before. There, there's what's happening here with this vote is exactly what it looks like, but there's nuance with as always. And, and the way that they'll argue this, 
the real point is not necessarily not necessarily whether this vote translates to a mandate for children, which it essentially does. But again, that's where the nuance is. And we'll get into that. But more so about the fact that they're they're voting for this in contradiction to the evidence that shows you they don't need it, that it's not necessary, that it's dangerous. I mean, that that, that COVID-19, as they frame it today, is not even remotely as dangerous as they would argue. It was I mean, even the beginning. They weren't at risk. Now they're at one one thousandth of that risk. It's, it's not. And we're going to get into a study today that shows you the risk breakdown globally. And it will blow your mind, even those of us that are following along, how minuscule this truly is. And yet they're still forcing all of this. So we'll get into all that nuance and what that means for the childhood vaccine schedule, for what that means from the CDC, the, the lack of due diligence, the malfeasance. And and what that then means to how they're covering it as well. And it's very it's it's sort of like the transmission conversation. There's always a, a narrative they have and the way that they're kind of bending the truth. They do use valid points in some cases, but they use those to confuse the issue. And I'll make that clear as we go through it. It's it's undeniable what just happened. And then, of course, the real point, as we made clear when we first talked about it, is what this then does. However, it translates the, the simply the action whether or not any states then make this part of their schedule opens the door or can essentially allows indemnity for anything that they have. The Pfizer, Moderna, and the groups involved with these injections we're talking about are no longer legally accountable because of what just happened. That's the reality. And it seems to be missed in even in independent media conversations. But we're going to go through that, uh, that, that part of it as well as the injection and the new coming wave and how they're hyping up the new variant, even as the evidence continues to show you the dangers, which is really just mind blowing. But all of this will translate into the digital ID and the conversation we're having there. But of course, there's a million unspoken points throughout the show today that are super important to stay tuned for. So make sure you do. But let's start off today with a point that I just think is important to discuss. Very strange, just because of the way that it's framed. But it does give you some insight into the way that their mind works and how some things matter and some things don't, despite being equally concerning. It's a choice for these people, which then seems to show you that they don't really care about your safety, more so using these concerns to achieve an end. Now here is a very, very strange story, really just because the headline, unacceptably high, which is a quote, levels of radioactive waste at Missouri Elementary School prompt outrage. Yeah, that's, of course, I don't imagine anybody would be okay with that. But the interesting part about that I tweeted out, I said I wasn't aware there was an acceptable level of radioactive waste at elementary schools. But apparently so. That's unacceptably high. Just a very weird way to say that, isn't it? Now, it begins, unacceptably high levels of radioactive waste was found, that's strange, at a Missouri elementary school, putting students at risk and forcing them to switch to virtual learning. I mean, you just can't miss how no matter what seems to happen today, the solution's always the same. That is about as clear as it gets. The board apologized to parents for putting their children at risk and said it's doing everything in its power to clean up hazardous material. Interesting that it would be pointed out now, as you'll come to find out that it's been there a really long time and they've known about it. So why now? I mean, it's hard not, I mean, it's an easy thing to say, well, virtual learning certainly could be. I guarantee it played a factor where all these teachers that probably don't want I mean, I shouldn't even make these assumptions, but look, my opinion would be that most people in these fields that are still there are there because they complied and or and or forced it on other people in many cases. So then you get the teachers that then are probably upset because the narrative they assign themselves to is suddenly shifting even from the people they're trusting, suppose the science. 
which is the government saying, don't have to wear masks anymore. You don't have to do this anymore. And they're the ones disagreeing with that, apparently, because they know better than the people that <laughs> it gets so convoluted. The science, even though it's not what it is. But what's what my point would be is that this would be an easy thing to go. Oh, well, there's an issue over here. Let's just make that the problem and declare that be why we need to go back to virtual learning. Wink, wink. It's because we want to. This is all my opinion. But we've seen how this has played out through COVID where they've decided what is best for people because of the virtue signaling narrative and made these choices for you. And many cases lied about why they did that or saying, here's a flu shot and then giving them the COVID shot, which we've seen in endless amount of examples of. We just talked about the military knowingly doing that to a reserve or a National Guard individual. But going forward, the board apologized to parents for putting their children at risk and said it's doing everything in its power to clean it up. Parents say they're furious that they weren't told about it sooner. I mean, it's just so crazy. The, the, the almost nonchalant way this is written, I mean, this is crazy. They, they didn't tell them about it, especially if it's the way that they're hyping it, that it's dangerous. I, it says, quote, I can get a call about a crayon or a pencil, but I can't get a call about nuclear waste. I mean, Exactly. I mean, it just it doesn't make any sense. I feel like there's more to this. I don't even know what that would mean at the moment. In August, after bringing you this news, you all decided not to communicate this to our community. I did at our PT and our, our PTA did. So the point is that the they had to tell everybody they wouldn't they didn't even apparently inform them about what was going on. That doesn't make sense to me. Now, the point is, this is from World War Two. Jana Elementary is located close to Coldwater Creek an area contaminated with radioactive waste from World War II weapons that from World War II weapons was dumped. Who wrote this? My God. I mean, I hate, I mean, people make mistakes, but this is corporate media. They got high levels of resources, and these are some pretty ridiculous type, not even, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> bad, bad editing. Radioactive waste from World War II weapons was dumped in the 1940s and 1950s. Now, what's interesting to me is that this is, again, also, what's still happening now, by the way, we just don't talk about it with their burning pits of chemicals and plastics and whatever other radioactive or other ways. I'm just using that term to, co to connect it, but all sorts of even far more dangerous things. And the way uh, what's the term they used? I forget that there's there's a discussion about this and there's a term that's used in regard to these pits that they burn around the world in other people's countries after they invade and destroy and steal and so on. And they will then pollute. And as you will find, just just look it up one day. U.S. government, military specifically, largest polluter on the planet. It's what they are. It's, I mean, there's not even, you can't just argue, well, because freedom, so we're allowed to do that. The point is that this is the kind of thing that happens still to this day. But that happened all the way back then. No different is the point, but why wasn't it an issue up until now? It was determined last week that radioactive levels at the site were causing an unacceptably high risk to children. Again, so... What's the acceptable level of risk here? Now, I know there's a, you could argue that it's minuscule, the kind of thing that there's, you know, a almost non-existent level that it's like, well, it's not, you know, this is like the generally accepted as safe nonsense they use with pharmaceuticals and all sorts of things, which generally mean that it's a way that they play the game and it's not very safe in any sense, but it's not deadly, you know, as a game there. But this is the, the case of radioactive waste. I don't see how this can be allowed and be like, it's acceptable unless it's a government cover-up. Contamination was found in classrooms and the library, in the HVAC system, and on the playground nearby fields. Now, look, this is my point. If this is just suddenly there, it's not the radioactive waste from from 70 years ago. If, but if, if it if it always been there, then somebody's been hiding this. But what does all that line up with? The classrooms, the library, the HVAC system, everything. It just kind of screams to me. I, I, again, I'm just reading into this. There's nothing to me 
on this article that suggests this was a cover for something else. But am I wrong in feeling like this feels seems strange and the overlap with things that are happening otherwise not related to a random sporadic radioactive waste that suddenly found itself in the classrooms and libraries in the HVAC system. The CDC says high levels of radiation can increase the risk of cancer while high levels of lead can affect the children's development attention span. Well, gee, maybe then you should get it out of every water system in this country. You know, it's just, it's just funny how things matter when they want them to. Anyway, that's just one, a story I want to throw out there. I just doesn't. This is strange. The way that it's happening, the way that some things matter and others don't. If we care about the fact that they're in danger from some, I guess, moderate level of radioactive waste. What about all the other things that are far more damaging, dangerous than what they're pointing at here? The, the levels that are kind of drifting over from a different from the river over the way, as, as opposed to the water system that Derek writes about all the time that's completely contaminated across this country. Or how about just the injections that they're giving those kids that are exponentially more dangerous? I mean, it just it just frustrates me that this is what's focused on. But that being said, talking about foreign policy and getting into the idea of Ukraine and how I do believe that there's all of this tends to show you that these people, generally speaking, I just mean governments, not even just the U.S., abuse the fact that we want good from them, that we want them to be good and we want to be good people at our core. And I think most people are like that. That's why we're run by the 20% give or so portion of the population that are psychopaths and sociopaths. We are run by those groupings of people. That's not hard to understand. There are studies that are done about the overlap of the kind of sociopathy in politics. And you'll find that the percentage of people in politics are pretty much exactly give or take the percentage that are psychopaths and, and, and sociopaths, which are a real percentage. I just think that's very telling. But this is, these are the kind of examples that we're talking about. I know Dan Cohen points this out, another brief point connecting to the Haiti conversation, which, you know, here comes another regime change by the U.S. monster. The U.N. wants to send its child rapists back in to stop Haitians from rising up. Now, remember, this is the argument they're making down here. For, really, it was Russia using Viagra to rape people in Russia's pe- troops in Ukraine. I guess that just kind of got gleaned, just gleaned over. On, I got, what's the right word there? Drifted over into this story, too. Because apparently, generally, almost like the same few-day discussion, rape has become a weapon for Haiti gangs, says the United Nations. Now, look, I'm not going to pretend that they're the gangs... MS-13 style kind of things don't use sex and, and, you know, rape and things like that to abuse, to torture, to influence. I mean, these are bad people. That's not the point, though. The point is how it's being screamed about on the world stage. And that's you being used to justify, guess what? A U.N. presence in hate. Oh, weird. Exactly what the U.S. government and everybody else was calling for. So it's, it's a means to an end. So I would argue if it is happening, it's always been happening. And they only care now because they want to use it to justify their presence. Or it's not, and they're lying about it. Call me pessimistic. Call me jaded. I think that's the reality. But the point that Dan Cohen is making is, okay, so let's send in the peacekeepers to stop the people from raping people, even though they have a dramatically obvious history of doing exactly that. I mean, this is one of the most absurdly, this story is always there and never covered by the corporate media. I mean, in in a general sense, like you can see this Associated Press, but you will rarely see this on Fox and CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, you know, that kind of stuff. More than 100 U.N. peacekeepers ran a child sex ring in Haiti. None were ever jailed. How do you even possibly explain that when they were caught? Right. Don't forget the Haiti overlap with the Clinton Foundation and Laura Silsby and the trafficking of Haitian children that they were caught for for moving. And Hillary Clinton personally got her off the hook and nothing ever happened about that. 
She now operates under Laura Gaylor. Last time I checked, she was working for a child alert system. This is all provable information. There's obviously more going on underneath this. Haitian women raped by U.N. Chilean peacekeepers seek justice. Two Pakistani U.N. soldiers jailed for raping Haitian boy. Now, look, I'm not going to say this. That has to mean that it's a U.N. centric concept or problem. Because these are just people from other countries that are taking positions as peacekeepers, but realize this is a never-ending problem that never gets dealt with. Why do some peacekeepers rape? The full report. Because they're in positions of power, and they abuse people who are vulnerable. It's just the way of the world, sadly. Not that it's the majority or always the case, but in situations like this, where people who have the power don't stand up for those that don't, the bad people slip in. And that's what's happening around the world governments and so on because we have become pacified and apathetic i don't mean everybody i think that's changing right now i think that's what they're so afraid of possibly the majority now now i do believe the majority can see through this but the majority is not standing up and doing something about it at least so far maybe again that's changing right now and that's what all this has to do with but now you see why this point is relevant to me now last point in regard to the foreign policy before ukraine discussion this is just showing you again how they're driving this into reality. There's going to be another point in a moment about China and how this overlaps. So don't forget this. I'll I'll point back to it. This is from in regard to Taiwan. U.S. in talks with Taiwan to co-produce American weapons. Can you even imagine what the U.S. government would do if China even suggested this in regard to, let's say, Mexico or any other country that was even remotely in the wheelhouse. Well, I guess that applies to the world as far as the U.S. government perceives it, but in the wheelhouse of the U.S., you know, the stomping grounds or Russia, for that matter. I mean, I mean, look, they're right now losing their minds about Russia supplying legal energy to anybody anywhere at this point. So imagine, I mean, just think about how crazy that is in regard to China or Russia and how they perceive the foreign policy dynamic. Taiwan has not declared independence. Just because the U.S. government declares that does not mean that's the case. Alternatively, we can see the Donbass region or Crimea or Kherson or Zaporozhye. These areas have gone through the process, voted, observed by international observers, hundreds of them, that it was legitimate, and they made their choice. Now, what's crazy about it is the Ukraine government acts like those people were occupied by Russia, except they're currently bombing those people. I mean, it takes about two brain cells to actually realize that they are lying about this. But the point is, the U.S. is in talks with Taiwan to produce weapons. China's not going to be okay with that. That's a gigantic red line. The U.S. just pretends like they shouldn't be allowed to say no. However, if this was the exact reverse situation, it would be war footing. China is declaring war by doing this. That's the kind of ridiculous, one-sided, bellicose rhetoric that we get. Now, I'm not saying either of them are okay. I mean, I guess there's another conversation to be had, but just the the double standard, the hypocrisy. So when they take action like this, knowing it will drive more conflict, that's a choice. You don't get to, you know, that's the, the whole thing. Like, stop hitting yourself with your brother. You don't get to pretend that it's their fault when you're the one doing it. You're driving the action, and when they respond, you blame them for all the fallout. This is a very clear action being driven into reality, just like Ukraine was, is at this moment. Now, despite all of the clear evidence showing you that this was a choice to make this happen, I mean, even foreign policy article that Whitney and I talked about before this ever started, that they wanted this. They called it an insurrection because they expected Putin to invade and occupy, not what happened. You don't have an insurrection unless you take over 
and then the group from within is fighting back, right? Currently, uh, Ukraine still controls part of its territory, most of it, so it's not an insurrection. But ask yourself why all of these groups, the CIA and everyone involved, the U.S. government, were planning this as an insurrection before that ever started. I mean, it's just plainly obvious. The point is they drove this into reality that's not meant to ignore anything that Russia might have done and has done that is something we should be concerned about or call out, whether it's crimes and war crimes and whatever else, which, by the way, I argue happen in every single war. And yes, they should all be held accountable. But the point is, this is what they're saying about Putin as this is happening. I mean, this is the kind of stuff I keep making fun of. Putin wants a declaration of war, he says. Against the entire Western democratic world, says Bruno Call, head of the German intelligence services. Right, oh, great. A spook. Okay, so he says Putin wants this. He wants a declaration of war for the whole democratic West. Okay, I'm sure you have a document that says that. Did he sign it? Right? Did you catch him on video? Oh, okay, none of that. So you're just saying this. This is the stupid part of what this is how childish this has gotten. How exactly do they have inside knowledge on what Putin wants? It's simply ridiculous anybody takes these people seriously when they claim to know what their enemies think, want, or feel. But that's commonplace in the sycophantic corporate media and those they blindly parrot. Now, look, I can, I can make the argument that people in this position, it's their job to, to know these things. They, at least that's what they claim, right? To have inside knowledge about the ins and outs of it. Maybe they got a spy in his office, right? That's all certainly possible. My point is that aside, that they they float these things without ever proving them, and they almost always turn out to not even be true. Regardless of that, it should not be something that they report to you, that here's what Putin feels, because you can't prove that. And so we're left going, well, I guess we'll trust people that have lied to us our entire lives. They know that, and that's why they often use it and abuse it. But the point is, it's clearly not what I would argue the evidence shows the Russian government even remotely wants. You can, I mean, maybe, but shouldn't their actions back that up? And if they don't, shouldn't you be like, maybe that's not true? This is just basic logic, guys. And the reality is their actions have clearly shown that's not what they're even remotely trying to do. But you know who is very clearly walking through those actions? The U.S. government. Over and over and over declaring war on anybody that does not go along with what they think is the right direction. Now, you can argue that's in the best interest of people, or they think it is. I don't know why you would assume that. But at the end of the day, it's destruction in their wake over and over and over and over and over. It's only one government you can really paint that picture for right now. But apparently he wants this. So we'll make that the case based on this guy's statement that we can't prove. Well, here, in contrast, here's what Blinken is actually saying. The United States must confront the Russian Federation and Ukraine. Right. Again, the reality that they literally kept poking until it happened so that they could make statements like this. Pandora's box will open. Not even sure what they mean by that. I mean, I know what the analogy is, but what? so unless they confront Russia in Ukraine, literally stepping in as a nuclear power in Ukraine and confronting them as the United States. I mean, that's nuclear war. And it may not amount to nuclear war, but that's the potential for that. That is a world war, which, by the way, I've always maintained has always been happening. We just live in the era of proxy wars. That's why I'm only saying this to be objective. I actually don't think that's where this will go unless the maniacs on the ground, the Regime, the puppets in, in Ukraine, the Zelensky Azov movement types, make it happen by pushing the U.S. hand by, by using a tactical nuke, let's say. But the point is, he's saying that we have to confront them in Ukraine, whether or not something happens. Otherwise, Pandora's box will open, which could lead to new conflicts in other parts of the world. 
Oh, God forbid. You mean like you like Iraq? Oh, no, you're already there. You mean like Afghanistan? Oh, no, you're already there. Like Syria? Oh, no, you're already there. You mean any other place that you're? No, those are all your wars. Russia's not even involved. Isn't that interesting? So what other wars are you talking about? You mean on the top of all the wars you're currently conducting illegally? You see, I mean, how incredibly ridiculous is this that we have to pretend like that? Like, so all those wars are OK, though, even though they're currently and acknowledgedly acknowledgedly, that's not a word. And demonstrably illegal. The United Nations continues to make that clear. They're illegally occupying Syria, period. They're illegally occupying Iraq and their government has voted them to leave more than once. Doesn't matter. Right. So why are I mean, what about what about Yemen? What about any of these locations that they don't even talk about? But apparently, even though you can argue that Russia shouldn't be doing it, there's far more reasonable justifications for why they're doing it than what you can claim is happening in Yemen or Syria or Iraq. You see my point? This these are these are the people you should be most afraid of right now. That's how I feel. Now, just right beneath that, I would argue Russia's government, China's government, all the rest of them. I don't trust any of them, but my God, that is crazy. And then we can point at what they're actually doing. Again, going back to the beginning point about what they would do in Taiwan, right? What would happen if if China decided to make weapons in Mexico? You think the U.S. would be okay with that? Or Cuba or anywhere else? Well, the U.S., October 16th, four days ago, rehearses dropping nuclear bombs in Europe. Right, no big deal. Like, they always love to pretend like, oh, these are just drills we've planned forever. That's never the case. They always use these, and they've admitted it in the past, so does Russia. They use these supposed drills as threats, as shows of force. It's very childish, isn't it? Because it's not like they're going to go, oh, no, <laughs> look at all the things they just did in the ocean. We're scared. I mean, it's, it's, I don't even know what they think it's accomplishing. Maybe it's for us to see. I'm not sure. But this is pretending or practicing nuclear bombs because of what's happening there. And yet, and yet Russia's threatening nuclear war as Zelensky bombs the Zaporozhye power plant, as they defend that, as they welcome him into NATO, or that's not technically happening, but I know that's where it's going, my, my opinion. And all we have alternatively is Putin saying, I'll defend myself if you make me. <laughs> oh my God, he's threatening nuclear war. Now I'm not even making this up. That's a, that is what is happening. And then the U.S. can say that we'd have no, we'd have taken anything off the table. We have the right to act first, nuclear weapons and otherwise. Bethlehem doctrine. There's a thousand reasons why what they're saying on the surface is far more concerning. And then they practice bop, dropping nuclear. What if Russia did this? You know what would happen. The media would frame it as them threatening nuclear war. On Monday, NATO's military alliance will hold a training exercise known as Steadfast Noon, in which B-52 bombers and F-16s will simulate dropping atomic bombs over Europe amid a deepening standoff with Russia. Like, nobody misses what this is really about. It says the training exercise comes just 10 days after President Biden warned of nuclear apocalypse, saying the risk of nuclear war is the greatest since the Cuban crisis, and they're the only ones continuing to poke that bear. They're the ones driving the act. They want you to be concerned about this. And you know what? Plenty of Americans, especially like those kids screaming at AOC, which good, scream at any politician. They're all ridiculous. But they are losing their minds about this. And, you know, there's concern to be had. Like I just framed with Zelensky and the Azov movement. But my God, acting like if you're not saying nuclear war, nothing else matters. That's the kind of over the top thing that happens, though. Where So apparently we're not allowed to talk about any other topic because you've decided this is the most important. That's how that works. And it is important, though. Right. But this is this is mind blowing that this is the kind of thing we're framing as 
tactical, as as level-headed as defense. <laughs> well, well, they'll say we'll defend ourselves if pushed, and you frame that as the attack maniac, over-the-top Soviet threat, right? I mean, it's just it is it is becoming very very clownish. And then this is just hilarious to me. Putin's nuclear threats, which aren't even real in the sense that they're making them out to be, are pushing people like Trump and Elon Musk, you know, the dangerous bad ones, the alt-right crazy ones, to press for a peace deal. (laughs) Oh no! What crazy madman calling for peace? A nuclear expert warns that that's dangerous. They even quoted him. Great. A nuclear expert warns that calling for peace is dangerous. I mean, how do you even write that? Do you want us to use the word Orwellian? Are you trying to make that happen? War is peace. Ignorance is strength. I mean, this is just ridiculous. I guess because Trump and Elon Musk call... Their argument is somewhere along the lines that they don't really mean it, that it's about manipulation. We want Russia to take over, and therefore that means more war. Like, it's always these abstract arguments. Like, nuclear weapons and gas are green because we use them to fight for freedom, which is literally what they argue, broken down paraphrasing. But that's stupid. That's just them giving themselves a pass on the things they want you to stop doing or using or saying or whatever we're talking about. Now here, Pearson Sharp, Pearson Sharp, thank you for sharing this. This He's from OAN. This is an interesting clip that I hadn't seen. This is, this is, he says they've been planning this for a while. And I agree. This is a clip from 1997. No, no, no preamble. I'm just going to play it. Now listen to what they're saying here. This, this is, oh, that's right. Uh, for, I think this was, oh yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, um, it's got subtitles. I'm just going to play it right here. So I'll, I'll read it. So what I guess the little so for those in the podcast, for the, essentially this is an old clip, 1997, outlining. I believe it's a Russian and a Ukrainian. I'm not good at picking out the differences in the dialect, but you can you'll listen for yourself discussing what they think this will be used for, and just look at how and I'll I'll say it out loud so you guys can hear it. He says, I don't see a problem that Ukraine wants into NATO. It wants to have good relations with Europe and with Russia. That's what he once says on the one side. The other guy responds. I know that in some U.S. academia, U.S. academy, hold on. I know that in some U.S. academy, they held a drill. The year, this is crazy. The year was 2025. And hypothetical scenario is America was at war with Russia and China. (laughs) <laughs> right so they're planning is the point which they are like whether or not you think the drills are meant to be what they want to happen they're still planning for this so you could argue it's because they saw it coming but we can see plenty of action where they're the ones driving this into reality at least in part i believe it's entirely not to say that china and russia don't have their own concerns in regard you know like i don't i don't need to make it clear over and over that i don't trust any of these people and i think if left to their own designs if the power structure were different russia or china would be doing exactly what the u.s is that's what i believe Plenty of people want to frame them as good guy, bad guy from either side of this. I just don't see it. I don't think it's that simple. I think power tends to be a problem in any case. That's why the people need to be engaged. And I don't even necessarily just mean the political process we see it today, but as holding the conversation. As always, voting is important if we live in an honest system, which we don't. But even though it's only one part, it's only one very small part, in my opinion. Anyway, getting back to the point, they plan for this, that they have these drills because this is something that they drove to action to, to a degree. In 2025, I mean, how do you miss the overlap with the timing? It's exactly what we continue to see, whether we're talking vaccine, passports, biosecurity drills. I mean, it's it's very telling. He says, and the reason was the Ukraine 
I knew I was going to do that. And the reason was the Ukraine began a war with Russia on the side of NATO. Well, look at that. Now, technically, they're not there. Well, I mean, let's let's not split hairs here. They're not they're not in NATO technically right now, despite being like a like an honorary member, essentially, from people's comments. But that they are on the side of NATO. That's very clear. So that's exactly what ended up happening. There is a group of people in the U.S. who support Ukraine joining NATO for the purposes of creating a conflict and turn Ukraine into a buffer state. That's the important part, guys. Using them as a buffer. That's the proxy war dynamic. And this is what people realize. Fighting to the last Ukrainian for other people's agendas. Finally, he says, the main danger is not Ukraine joining NATO. It takes a while if it does happen. It's the fact that Ukraine and Ukrainians really are being trained to be a buffer state. Guys, I mean, this, these are people inside the situation that are seeing this back in 1997. Great, great find by Pearson Sharp. I mean, this is, that's, that's incredible. Now, that doesn't have to, that is, I wouldn't say that's proof because, you know, they could just be theorizing and it could just coincidentally end up this way. But shouldn't we ask whether or not there's more to this? Like Event 201 and Crimson Contagion and Dark Winter and all the other things that are literally what ended up happening? Just something we should consider. Now, what you may have seen in the, in the conversation here, and I'll show you how it's being misrepresented, as always, by the childish corporate media. On October 19th, yesterday, they're reporting that Putin has declared martial law, which is true in, in certain areas. But here's how the corporate media reports it, and then I'll show you how the Russian side of the media, still, I shouldn't say corporate, how the um, U.S. media reports it versus the Russian media. Putin tightens grip on Ukraine and Russia with martial law. Russian President Putin declared martial law Wednesday in four regions of Ukraine that Moscow annexed and gave all regional governors in Russia emergency powers that opened the door for sweeping new restrictions throughout the country. Putin didn't immediately spell out the steps that would be taken under martial law, except he literally did, but said that his, his order was effective starting Thursday. Now, again, this is by the way, I'll show you the day this is written. This is the same day. And I'll show you the complete outline of exactly what's happening they don't just don't they don't want I think they it's rather they want it to be murky and undefined. So it seems like they're abusing power. The upper house of Russia's parliament quickly endorsed Putin's decision to impose martial law in the annexed Donetsk, Kherson, Luhansk and Zaporozhye regions. According to Russian legislation, martial law could require banning public gatherings, introducing travel bans and curfews and conducting censorship, among other restrictions. Again, it's just this u- ubiquitous direction. You can't miss out eat from either side of this that everything seems to go in the same direction of what they ultimately want us to be doing for the Great Reset direction or the you know, lockdowns and everything else. I mean, it's hard to miss. Maybe that's just because that's what their minds are. Doesn't ha- I mean, but I, I think it's more than that personally. Okay, so that's there's more to the article I could pick out and be nitpicky about. It's their corporate media is a joke today, in my opinion. It's just it's bad. And so just to, quick points I'm making here. The same day, Putin announces new security measures in Russia. Now it says. Russia has introduced emergency measures due to the continued threat posed by Ukraine and the need for a more efficient response to it, Putin announced on Wednesday. Now, I mean, look, just to be clear, and it gets into the martial law part of it, but listen to this. You can't ignore this. Rehearsing dropping nuclear bombs, right? Threatening that we need to push in there and do something about this. The arming of these people, right? The, 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 the Azov movement on the ground. Sending them in from sending them drones, sending them weaponry, sending them funding. I mean, it's it's these people are dangerous. What they're doing to the people in Donbass is they're war criminals. They are committing massive 
crimes against humanity every moment they're bombing into these areas. And I'll show you some of these clips that they roundly ignore, that are proven. And I don't use that lightly. There are people from multiple angles on the ground, from different outlets, different political spheres that are watching the civilians get annihilated by bombing in the middle of the area that you can then prove came from Ukrainian locations. And yet the corporate media is just willfully ignorant about it. It's in, it's it's incredible. But so my point is that you can see all this happening and you understand at the very least, whether you agree with it, why they would be driven to take this action. Now, here's the most important part and why I say that they're willfully, however I framed it, just intentionally misinforming you about this. Speaking at a meeting of the National Security Council, Putin said he had signed several documents detailing the policy changes. He also reiterated accusations against Kiev, stating that it uses, quote, terrorist methods against Russia. I mean, it's pretty hard not to realize that with the bridge and the Nord Stream, which even they're essentially admitting was an explosion. The Ukrainian forces sabotage crucial infrastructure and stage assassinations of local officials. And by the way, they've assassinated uh, Dugan's daughter in Moscow, and they, the U.S. government admitted that. There's no reason this doesn't make sense to people, even if you don't agree with what Russia is or what they're doing. This is a rational choice to make in regard to the border between these very clear extremist people and the people they're trying to protect. I mean, that's, of course, what they're framing it as. You don't have to trust what they're saying, but you have to understand that that makes sense within, even within their narrative. Now, it says, uh, just like their ideological forefathers, Stefan Bandera's Hitler collaborators, they try to create a criminal underworld, send sabotage teams on our soil. Now, I'll show you a point about the, the, the they push back on the Bandera point. I'll show you a group in Ukraine's military like days ago that was singing to Bandera. I mean, this is not a secret. They just don't like to talk about it in the corporate media because it makes them look stupid. He claimed that Russia law enforcement officials have prevented several planned attacks on mass gatherings, transport, and energy energy facilities, including the nuclear power plant. Certainly, I mean, that's something we have to consider, that these, we, we know that, that they are aiming at these things. Zelensky's been proudly talking about how they're bombing the power plant and then claiming that's putting everyone at nuclear threat. It doesn't make much sense. So it's likely that that is the case, but you, know, you can't prove what they're saying. But martial law in four regions, Manets, Lugansk, the Donbass region, Kherson, and Zaporozhye regions. Now, it says the four. Here's the important part. Now, you can prove this. The four provinces already had martial law in place when Russia accepted their bids for annexation. Right. So understand that these groups before they were part of Russia. Already declared their own version of martial law because of what was happening from from Ukrainian forces. And we all see what's happening there if you're paying attention. So all Russia did was accept their declaration of independence and let them vote to referendum to become part of Russia and then just initiated Russia's martial law because that's what they wanted. I mean, you could you just because that's not what you want to be the case because you want to pretend they're doing wrong, wrong by these people to just dismiss it without looking at the evidence is ridiculous. But the reality is you can prove this. Just ask the people on the ground filming this, documenting what's happening. The decree which he expects parliament to ratify swiftly will give the legal basis under Russian law for what is de facto happening on the ground. So it's, it's kind of hard to miss the reality, but of course the corporate media frames it as a power grab, which is always what they, because that's what all they know apparently. Now the rest of it is uh, alert regimes. It says the special regime gives regional op officials in these areas, additional authority to ensure security react rapidly to any emergencies. Now the ascent, the understanding is that this is what the local areas want. But I could easily argue that now that they've taken control of the areas, that it doesn't really matter what they want. 
that people may disagree with that, that the government wouldn't do that because they're right by that, whatever. I don't, I think government's abuse, period. But regardless, the, how this went down to start was because that's what the areas wanted. You can't ignore that. But the governors of different parts of, and I say, I say that in this context because these people that are now in charge are essentially being given broad authority by the Russian government. So, you know, I, power will be abused. I argue that anywhere. The governors of different parts of Russia face different challenges and need different powers to deal with them. That you have to understand because of what's happening there. Even if you disagree with it, it, it's, it makes sense based on what Ukraine is doing and provably. Government coordination, that's kind of obvious. They're essentially coordinating the different powers and regional people in charge with the direction they're taking. Support of mobilized reservists. Another set of instructions told the defense ministry to ensure that people enrolled in active military service under partial mobilization are paid for their due. Essentially making sure that they get paid for their work. He said he was reacting to reports in cases of wages not being paid on time and stressed the importance of providing the military what it needed to do its job. So there, there's your overarching reality of what they framed as essentially a power grab now what's interesting about this is while all this is happening <laughs> erdogan turkey's erdogan agreed with russia to make turkey a natural gas hub for europe which i'm sure that that, that nato would rather that be the case but there's a weird dynamic here between turkey and the way that they play this now i don't know if this is going to be what exactly what uh nato and the u.s government want because I haven't, I'm going to look more into this and, you know, the further details. I would argue that this is actually a deal that would benefit Russia because I would argue this is where Russia's entered oil, gas, natural gas will go through and still. So all what ultimately really matters is that the, they don't want Russia's government to benefit at all. And that's what this ultimately adds up to is they want these people to be the governments, the Russia specifically to be stuck here to you know it's a quagmire they want to create a situation where they're overextended where the resources are being you know used and so as on top of that stopping the nest the need for uh energy resources coming from russia to europe because then that allows them to have an agreement and connection and they want this to be the op and, and, and to be clear what they're doing is justifying the actions they're taking which we'll get into the energy part today by the necessary step because we can't be dependent on russia but all of that hinges on the idea that just Russia bad guys, so that's why that makes sense. But all you're doing is hurting people everywhere under the justification that it's necessary to stop Russia. I saw a, a really ridiculous me or cartoon, which is perfect. It's funny, but it's sad and ridiculous. It's got a bunch of people sitting around a campfire in some kind of dystopian future where the guy's telling the children, yes, yes, we did destroy the world, but we momentarily weakened Russia. Right. I mean, that, that's essentially what's happening. You know, of course, we know that the destruction of everything is leading to another agenda, but they're really rationalizing the $10,000 energy bills and lack of food because, well, Russia is powerful or you need to stop them from influencing energy under the I mean, exactly what they're claiming Russia's doing with that is what the U.S. government is right now doing with the same situation, using it, controlling people, influencing their direction, their policy. I mean, it's exactly what they claim Russia's doing. Just because they scream freedom and good guy doesn't mean anything. Interesting. But here are the Ukrainian people on the ground. Ukrainian paratroopers singing, our father is Bandera. Our mother is Ukraine. Bandera, in case you forgot, was the leader of Ukrainian Nazis organization, Ukraine's Nazi organization, and murdered over 100,000 Poles and Jews in 1943-1944. Just in case you still think the Ukrainian military and government isn't filled with Nazis. Now, you could call these neo-Nazis, which would be more accurate, I would argue, fascists. Because remember, if you're the, the Nazi name is specific 
to a political party and so on. So that's why when I argue that there are actual Nazis, because that's the truth, because people like Michael Lebed, who was the original point of this, was a Nazi war criminal. And that ideology did did continue through to some people. And we've proven that throughout this process. Even I was a little resistant, resistant to that in the beginning. But I realized that is actually accurate. But most of this is neo-Nazis, fascist, and just extremists in general. But here they are singing exactly what you just heard. The Our father is Bandera. Hmm. And again, I just can't help but point out how absurd it is that you have a government and specifically an administration that is spearheading this fight against white supremacy and extremism as they're funding the most obvious example of that on the planet right now alongside the other ones they also fund, like Al-Qaeda and ISIS and, you know, all the rest. But what's interesting is that this is happening in real time. As they're literally screaming that they are, that Baldera is their, is their father, and they're going out of their way to fund their fight for freedom while they claim they're fighting extremism. I mean, it just, it's, it's insulting. But Lindsey Snell, Moro Award winner, writes, Germany's withholding a tweet showing Azov fighters in Ukraine doing the Heil Hitler salute on the basis of law against Nazi symbols is amazing irony. The German government can fund and arm them, but journalists can't show photos of them proudly exhibiting their white supremacy. Now, this is the, the interesting part. As it says here, your tweet's been withheld in Germany based on local laws. That's local German laws influencing the global platform of Twitter. Think about how crazy that is. And the reality is they're simply hiding the tweet that shows you that they're giving the Nazi salute. Her point is because the symbol is against the law. So it's okay to fund them, but you can't show that they're doing what you call against the law. This is counterintuitive. It doesn't even make sense. It means they either don't care about the fact that these people are extremists, which is what I argue is happening, or they're, I mean... How would you even frame? I don't even know how to frame the alternative to that. Like, it's so very clear what they're doing here. Hiding the truth while funding those people. I mean, it's just insulting to your intelligence. Now, here's why it read in another example, pointing out another example of how they're actively holding back the truth. And I mean, this is why we know that many of these people involved in these, these, these outlets are not just willfully or I guess willfully is right. We're not are just not, not just ignorant of the reality. Right. They're, they've bought the narrative. A lot of them are like that. Just not very intelligent, I argue. And they're being used. But you can't do this and then pretend like you don't see that you're covering this up. French journalist and director Anne Laure Bono has been fired from the University of Paris because she made a documentary on what was going on in Donbass. Quote, I was notified that I was no I no longer met the values of the university, so they cannot allow me to continue working. Think about how wild that is. So you work there for, you know, very long period of time. Doing lots of work. And you go to make a documentary. And because you simply do it in a location and objectively cover that location, they say you no longer meet the values of the university. Like, at what point did those values start to diminish? Is it just the moment you went to down the Donbass region? I mean, we all know what this really is. The journalists from France told about threats after the film about Donbass. And he writes after that. Watch the documentary that got her fired here. Now, actually, I will. Um, let me just do that. I'll include that. Oh, I forgot. I already put the links up. Well, in any case, right beneath it is the link to the documentary. Here's the article. It says right here, French journalist and director, author of the documentaries about Donbass, told RIA Novosti that she lost her job and began to receive threats 
just because of her trip there. You see the reality here, guys? She's being threatened just for going there. How in the world do you argue that by going to the location that you're breaking some kind of accord, right? The reality is they don't want that truth to be seen. And the, the governments here, the top, are aware of this. The university here is aware of this. She, she, she visited Eastern Ukraine in 2015 and 2016, right? This is what Eva Bartlett's been pointing out. Eight years plus, they have been continually ethnically cleansed, bombed, attacked, threatened, and presented the documentary Donbass. In the February of this year, the journalist returned to the region and shot a new film, Donbass, eight years later. According to her, the shooting took place from May 24th to March 11th. She arrived in Donbass a few days before the start of the invasion. She then decided to put her film on the internet. And you can watch this for yourself, guys. It is exact. it is, I mean, it's what anybody honest would do. Interviewing people, asking them questions, and the reality coming out. But because they say the things that they don't want you to see, they shut it down. Which, by the way, let's just grab this one. I have another one here somewhere. <laughs> I should have just lined this up next to it. Here's another example of this. French reporter gets cut off the second she mentions Ukraine attacking hospitals. So first of all, realize this is a reporter on the ground who is reporting that her evidence shows that Ukraine is attacking hospitals. That's why she reported it. And the moment that she goes into that information, they cut the feed. Russian army wants to... Well, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a minute long. The point is she gets... She, I'll go for when she starts talking. They asked her, why do Russians want to evacuate the city, the civilians from the city? Right? Because this is Russia evacuating civilians from a city. Now, this is, again, how they frame this when they say Russia's retreating because we're winning and, you know, militarily overcoming them. You know, is that what's happening or is there more to the story? Right? That's the thing. So in this case, we can see that they're evacuating civilians from the city. And they asked why. The evacuation of the city happens in view of the fast advancement. The Ukrainian troops toward the city in the course of their counterattack, which is currently underway in the south of this country. Moscow admitted a harsh and quite surprising step during the war. That is, the situation was really rather tense for Russian soldiers in the field. The city of Kherson, I must say, was annexed by the Russian army at the end of September and currently is a regular object of strikes by Ukraine at its infrastructure such as hospitals. Cut. Oh, we lost her. Oh, that's too bad. Right. I mean, guys, it's it's you can't miss it. You're either there like a Barbara Starr character and willfully being ignorant and hiding everything you can, or a BBC, for example, or anybody at that outlet, or you're there and you try to report it and they cut you off. Or you're honest like Eva Bartlett and Vanessa Bealey and Patrick Lancaster and Wyatt and all the rest of them out there who are reporting this accurately because they're showing you on the ground what they can see. But it's just, it's just, it's impossible to miss. Now, here's the interesting part about this to show you the reality of the extremism. Now, and the, look, this, by the way, what we're going to show next is a kind of a tangential ex extended part of what we've shown you. But my, if you really want to understand the reality of these groups, I didn't even include the articles today. Just type in Asov Movement on The Last American Vagabond and read the endless amount of articles we've covered on this about how really obviously extremism, extremists these people are. But as Rev points out, never Google Article 16 of Ukraine's Constitution. Worst mistake of my life. Now, 
here it is, and I'll read it to you next. Now, it's in the context of Chernobyl. But I still don't think that explains what it says here. I think that was it right here. So here, here's the actual Constitution. It says, providing, the eco- pro- providing of ecological safety and support of ecological equilibrium on territory of Ukraine, overcoming the consequences of the Chernobyl catastrophe, is the catastrophe of, plan- of planetary scale. Saving the gene pool of the Ukrainian people is the duty of the state. No, sure, you could argue it has to do with, you know, radioactive material. But it's pretty simple what that says. And then you can overlap that with what they sell el- say elsewhere openly, what they say they want to do with the races around the world, what they want to exterminate in certain areas. I mean, this is their spoken words from high-level ranking officials currently in his administration. We've shown you all this. Of course, corporate media hides from this. So then you start to really see more of this information. Saving the gene pool of the Ukrainian people is the duty of the state. Well, that's a simple statement, whether it's radiation-related, or something else. I just find it to be pretty telling. Now, this now here's another interesting one that I saw shared. And I tried to suss this out and I wasn't able to find this provably, but I still want to share it with you for two reasons. This person says Kiev fertility clinic seeks only pure Ukrainians. That's what they're claiming. And they show this image of a sign that translates to something I, I, one of the words is pure in, in Ukrainians. I can see that. I looked that up. But what's interesting first of all, is that this person responds when somebody goes, that's fake, it's not real, and shows you the actual thing on the door, which doesn't mean it's real, by the way, but I find that to be more compelling. That's where this comes from. So in some kind of a, a medical room, which you can see where it's all you know, white tile and so on, you can see this image. Now, that could be faked easily, but that is the exact image, which does say pure blood or pure Ukrainians. Very strange. It, I, I mean, the only reason I would give this any like usually this kind of this is something I might leave off until I can find more about it. I don't think we will, in fact. But because of everything else about who these the government is, who's been driving what they're doing and the Azov movement and and right sector and Svoboda and all these different groups that are outwardly openly fascist and extremist. It does not surprise me. Their statements are openly racist and openly about exactly what this is. So the point is, though. The website itself says, no, that's fake and shows the image and everything. So I went through and I tried to find it. I can't. I went the way back machine and so on. So it could be fake. I just think it's interesting in the overlap. But I did find this. That on this translation part, they go through saying, no, we can. it's not real and it's not uh, you, the main. Explain what they really do. We continue to work for the benefit of our patients. But at the end, it says everything will be Ukraine. <laughs> that's strange. I mean, whether you take that as take over the world or or that everything will be ukraine in regard to their genetic discussion i mean it's a strange statement i'll just put it that way but regardless of it i wanted to include it because i do think that there i do think there's something to this into into how this is in their constitution and how this is something that is being pointed at i hope somebody can find out whether or not this video is actually true because it could be something that was posted that was not in fact otherwise listed on the website something to consider Question everything. Now, going forward, we see a lot of white read here reporting this. We see a lot of these Ukrainians, and we've seen this in other examples as well. People, this, this is the point at which you can realize that not every person that's there is what we're pointing at, right? The extremist element I, was cultivated by the CIA since 1948 at when it was the OSS and became the CIA in 1943. We can see this, prove this, Project Aerodynamic. 
But that doesn't mean that all of them are like that. Like you can point out there's plenty of Jewish people in Israel that completely recognize that Zionism has hijacked the, Judea, the Jewish religion, is using that to manipulate people around the world. Orthodox communities all over Israel point that out and get attacked by the IDF. We just That's why you don't talk about it, though. They don't talk about it because it shows you the illusion, just like this. But here he is pointing out more Ukrainians refuse to be fed into the Zelensky meat grinder. It says, we refuse to carry out criminal orders. This is a Ukrainian serviceman recording this message. It says, here are the boys who all departed. Now, we've seen Americans and UK individuals leave because of how they're being manipulated and lied to, but these are Ukrainians. They are all the ones who survived and left Kherson, who refused to carry out criminal orders, namely to shoot at our own people, to go on the offensive without ammunition, without weapons. And all of this has been backed up by numerous people speaking out. That's the gist of it. The reality that people are, are, are leaving. Now, this is a really sad video, in fact. This is a 68-year-old woman from Ribazon, I believe, condemns the cursed fascist from Ukraine who blew up her home with a, with a how do you pronounce that, a Himmers missile? I, I'm, I've read that many times, but I've never said it out loud, and left her crippled. Did you, did you buy these papers? Uh, Hold on. I, I feel like I thought this had uh, subtitles. Let me grab it real quick and I'll, I'll put it on there for you. But this is just, it's, it's very sad, you know, because this is the kind of video that they dismiss. Like, you know, that's the sad reality about all this today is that if it's something that they don't want to agree with, it's fake news and Russian propaganda, which is certainly possible, as those of us honest would point out. Could it be? Of course. Right. But then if it's something that goes along with their agenda, it's absolutely true whether they can prove it. Because, well, of course, because and that's the kind of garbage we see with the vaccine discussion or anything. Those of us on this side are saying, well, it could be fake, but here's the evidence that backs it up. But then on that side, it's completely dismissed or taken regardless of the facts. That's the kind of problem we see play this for you this one's pretty sad from those cursed fascists and were you here when they fired was this bullet whatever yeah. Yes. She lives here on the first floor. What was it like when they landed? Uh, there was a huge blast and she had some injury to her leg, like uh, extension. She's, she's alone, the one, the only one who lives in this block. And what, what's so upsetting? Is it, is it the, the, the rockets that are upsetting? Or? Yes. 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 She has to go to some administration for help, but she cannot walk that far. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. So, um, 
What what kind of things do you need? Do you need food? Do you need what 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 does what do you need? Well, tell, tell her we can we can help her. Can I, can I ask her um, what, what does she think of these cursed fascists, as she calls them? They're not human, they have nothing human with them. She says they're not human. Now, you know, you, you could easily argue that this is an example that could be made on either side of wayward missiles and rockets and so on. But ask yourself why the corporate media never points these kinds of things out. As far as they're concerned, this never happens on the other side, right? It only happens when Russia fires things because Ukraine said so. And you don't even need to prove that, which is certainly possible. But of course, this never happens on the side. You won't see anything like this on corporate media in any way that represents a Ukrainian action at all. How can that even be possible, even by accident? I mean, it, it, that's how easy this stuff is to prove that they're mis they're lying to you about what's going on. But at the end of the day, this is an area we can prove was because of Ukrainian actions. Now, realize that these are the areas and the people that they're now attacking. Even though they're the ones claiming it wasn't a real referendum and Russia took the area. <clears throat> so then why are you attacking the people of those areas? They claim if you ask them, it's to punish them for tra being traitors. Okay, so they did vote to leave then. <laughs> you see how easy this is to prove? They can't even get their own narrative straight. It's very, very sad. Russian humanitarian aid volunteers were in fact able to provide some immediate assistance to the woman whose home was destroyed by Ukrainian fascists with American weapons. And you know why? Because of people like Wyatt Reed. Because they were there, present, and they helped her. Footage shows the consequences of the Ukrainian strike directly outside on Natalia's second floor home, as well as the fragments of the HIMARS missile recovered nearby. Look at that. Imagine this was your house that you've lived your whole life. I mean, it, just think about how crazy that is. And this kind of stuff is ignored. It's happening to Palestinians every day. It's happening to Yemenis every day, every single day. No one cares. Now, this is on the subject of human shields, unfolding events in Kherson, demonstrating the difference between Russia and Kiev's war strategy. <clears throat> Excuse me. As it says, people are transported to other side of such ships. This is the line to Go, uh, Golaya Pristan. Over there is a little to the right. Employees of the Ministry of Emergency Situations, dog handlers who inspect bags are working on the spot. Buses meet people on the other side. There are two queues of people who signed up at a call center. On the right side, there's a queue for the, uh, the different areas they're going to, and the left side is a queue for a different area. Buses for 1,000 people are waiting there. Now realize, this is the Russian government doing this, right? The, the very thing they say never happens. Like, apparently, according to the corporate media, they want to just murder everybody with gas and stuff and bomb them for no reason because they're maniacs and villains, right? Everything's possible, except the evidence shows you the, the reality, though, in Syria and elsewhere, where they bust people out of the way and the other side doesn't do that. 
<laughs> but they're the bad guys though, right? Again, in the context of this, in my opinion, there is no good guy, bad guy. I'm using that as the, bi- the binary absurdity of the way they frame this. Even though, in fact, you can see that they're conducting actions they claim other people are doing. It's just, it's, it's impossible to miss. After people cross over, they will then stay where they are going to Crimea and, and elsewhere. Have you decided to take your dog with you? My antidepressant. Now the point, guys, is that this is the exact opposite of what you see almost anywhere on the Ukrainian side. You talk to people that leave the areas, they'll tell you how they were held in basements and forced to, and not, were not given rations and, and argue that it's all because Russia bad guy. And, and in, many, in some cases, not. Some cases, just kidnapping people, abusing them, especially if they're people that may, they may think are on the other side or may not be pro-Ukraine or whatever. It's just, it, just, it simply shows you that what they're saying is not the full picture. Now, Wyatt Reed again points out Zelensky's regime war on education continues. And here you can prove this is the number 10 secondary school in Rubizine with six U.S. supplied missiles that got hit three weeks ago. Patrick Lancaster has been showing this for a very long time. There's no denying this. Now, of course, when, when, get, when they get put to the question, like, like Israel's government does all the time, they simply go, oh, well, they were using the school as a base. Now, that could be true, except we've already seen in reverse that they are, in fact, the Ukrainian military using schools with people and children in them. That's been proven. But see, there's only one side of the coverage being shown. Very sad. Now, here's about more lies coming out from the Ukrainian side of this discussion. This is, well, rather people on Twitter in this case, but in general, we see this across the board. John Carter points out a photograph of a passenger train bombed by American aircraft in Serbia. In April 12, 1999, is being passed off as an airstrike by the Russian military. And of course, it's a fake and launched by the Americans themselves. Let's think, think about the, the irony here of, or is that the right way to frame that? Yeah, essentially. The, the idea that this is a, a, a civilian train that was bombed by the American military, which of course nobody, no sanctions, no war crimes, none of that, right? It's now being framed on Twitter as the Russians bombing a Ukrainian train. Now, I hear in the chat, it looks like people are arguing this was meant to be a parody. I'm, I, it doesn't, I'm not sure. I, could, I wasn't able to suss that out. Regardless, though, we are seeing this kind of thing all across the board. And even if this person then finds out that it was, they you know leave it up and so on. We see this everywhere. This person responds by showing you that the, the, uh, a tweet remembering this from the anniversary of, of NATO's aggression on Yugoslavia. Like, the idea of all these things being overused and re The point is, the U.S. government is responsible in a many different ways. I mean, I, I've just endless examples of doing this kind of thing throughout history. Over and over and over. Just look at Vietnam. Look at, currently look at the locations I just mentioned. I mean, it just, it gets, it's endless. But all we get is lies. Here's an interesting take from the previous lie we talked about. Russia's giving soldiers Viagra to rape Ukrainians, which was, I, I don't see z- literally any evidence for nothing other than them saying that and Ukraine telling them to say it, it, would, it seems. But this person has an interesting point. 
Pfizer should be investigated for circumvention of the sanctions, right? Of course. How's Viagra getting in there? Supplying armed forces of Russian Federation with Viagra. They use the word Viagra. That's the name brand. So how exactly is that happening? Is Pfizer circumventing the sanctions? Is that funny? That's a great point. Right? But nobody cares as long as Pfizer could do it. It's, just, it's a funny point that only certain things matter when they want them to, right? But the Pentagon is considering paying for Starlink in Ukraine after Musk suggests that he'll pull it back because he was told to F off by a Ukrainian official. And he simply said, I'm just taking their advice. It's just funny how, how you know, again, childish these people are. What's now the Pentagon's going to step in and pay? Clearly, this is important for them. Clearly, this goes beyond Elon Musk. But why would we pay for that? Because you're paying for everything, guys. That's the point here. That's why Zelensky just demanded billions more dollars. This is an interesting uh, tweet from Sunshine. It translates, Happy Day Survivors. The Russian ministry confirms that George Soros's financed biological and nuclear program laboratories in Ukraine through Rosemont Seneca, an investment fund headed by Hunter Biden. Let's see if Putin's role is now understood. Oh, here. Um, oh, you know what? That's weird. I thought that was the same thing I did before. Let me grab that real quick. Keep thinking some of these are, are translated from another language. There we go. All right. Here's the clip. And it has uh, Caleb from uh, RT, or I think previously from RT, I forget. Investment fund Rosemont Seneca, which is headed by Hunter Biden. Rosemont Seneca Partners is the firm tied to Hunter Biden, the U.S. president's son. And the Russian defense ministry is listing uh, financial entities that are involved in these bio labs in Ukraine. Now, they also listed George Soros's Open Society Institute uh, and Open Society Foundations, uh, which are also involved with them, and uh, as well as the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine and the Ministry of Health of Ukraine uh, and the <laughs> U.S. Department of Threat Reduction. Um, all of, of them seem to be tied in with these bio labs. Um, and it appears that uh, that that Rosemont Seneca Partners, uh, the reason that they would be involved is because they have a relationship with Metabiota and and Beach, which are main suppliers of Pentagon biolab materials. Now, uh, Moscow is also coming forward and saying uh, that it appears these biolabs are connected uh, with institutions uh, and research organizations that are related to nuclear missiles. This is what was said. Interesting. The scale of the program. Now realize this is coming from the Russian government, right? So take that as you will. It shouldn't, it shouldn't mean you dismiss it without consideration. It certainly adds up. But, you know, that you consider that take it with a grain of salt, knowing that in any government's position, they will use it to their benefit. It's not necessarily fake, though. In addition to the military, the U.S. agencies for international development, the George Soros Foundation and the Center for Disease Prevention Control are directly involved in its implementation. Scientific supervision is carried out by leading research organizations, including the Los Alamos National Laboratory, which developed nuclear weapons as part of the Manhattan Project. All these activities are carried out under the full control of the Pentagon. Now, the over 30 biolabs are accused by Russia of being involved in weapons development and trying to develop biological weapons. Now, just to be clear, guys, I, that my, my stance on that is that it's unequivocal. I don't care whether they call it defense or say whatever word they want to insert. They're making weapons. That's what that work is. Anywhere you look at it, period. 
That's, I mean, that's my stance on it, but I know that's backed up by the facts. But now we just get into, you know, semantics here on whether you're making a gun that is meant to be a paperweight, right? It's still a gun. <laughs> that's the point. But going forward. The USA denies this and insists they are simply research facilities. Um, and we did hear acknowledgement of these facilities' existence from U.S. Undersecretary uh, Victoria Newland. Ukraine has... Uh biological research facilities. We are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, <laughs> Russian forces should they approach. The right. Even just the way she says that, you can tell she's being very careful. Biological research facilities, right? Like very deliberate. And the point is, if it can end up in the hands of the, the bad guys and it's a weapon, then it's a weapon. It doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you just, in your hands, you perceive it differently. If it's dangerous in their hands, it's dangerous potentially in yours too. It's as simple as that. The fact that, uh, that she expressed this concern about their possibly getting into the hands. Hmm. And going forward. Wyatt Reed pointing out, again, talking about the lies and mis misrepresentations, the kind of this part we're on right now. He's jokingly saying, should be any day now <laughs> to them continually. I made a joke about this already myself. March 25th. I think we'll let's see. We'll start at the right one, right date here. January, October. I think this is the one. June 11th, 2022. Russia's running out of precision weapons. Oh, wait, maybe it's not. That is the one. Okay, March 25th. Russia running out. Oh, it is 2022. Okay. R running out of precision munitions in Ukraine war. Struggling. Putin is running out of missiles. UK says May 6th, June 11th. Russia's running out of precision weapons. October. Russia's running out of long range missiles. <laughs> like, really? You'd think they'd have run out by now, right? I mean, it's just, it's just talking points. What, and how is the corporate media reporting that? What's their fact? UK says intelligence told us. Somebody said that's all they've got anymore. And that's okay for them. Think about what that shows you, though. They're lying to you whether they know it or not. Because they want you to think that Russia's just on the edge of losing. I don't even know why that translates into some kind of benefit to them, but no, who cares? Whatever. It's it's very clearly not true. Now, here is the real, here's the truth about how the, the foreign policy perspective here. Now, it doesn't, let's just put it this way. It doesn't matter whether you believe that what's happening in Ukraine is literally everything that they're telling you. Every bad thing they've argued. Which would mean that there's war crimes being committed and Russia should be held accountable. Sure, fine. Let's just pretend that's the case for the sake of conversation. Everything that she talks about here has to be also taken into consideration. So if you're going to pretend that that's the case, then why hasn't any of that happened in the endless amount of situations that the U.S. government's been involved in? Whether you thought they were trying to do good or not and tripped the shoelaces and blew everything up, right? It doesn't really matter, does it? Because it ended up the way it did. So why does one matter and one not? Yet again, Claire Daly coming out with an outstandingly important speech. State sponsor of terrorism is a term of U.S. law. It doesn't exist in EU law. But a Zelensky advisor called for it in the Parliament magazine. And here we are again reporting for duty. And all it will do is make peace harder to achieve. Exactly, of course, what the extremists want. No peace, no off-ramps, all bridges burning, and Ukraine a permanent abattoir in a suicidal holy crusade against Russia. So... If you want to start naming state sponsors of terrorism, let's do it. 
European sponsorship of Israeli terrorism in Palestine, Western sponsorship of Saudi terror in Yemen, ISIS, the product of French, American, British, Turkish and Gulf sponsorship in Syria and Iraq, decades of right-wing US-backed terrorism against the Cuban revolution, the Contras in Nicaragua, death squads in Guatemala, in El Salvador, remember Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, horror after horror, terror after terror, there's nothing constructive about the pot calling the kettle black. Would you ever cop on, start championing peace and enter the war which is patently in the interests of EU, Ukrainian and Russian citizens? Ending the war is, right? I mean, it, the, the, the prob, the, that's, that's a fraction of the picture, too. All of those things you can look back on now, and the narrative now is, is even a, like a fraction of the truth, but there's still the truth that it was bad and people were killed. And But you dig into it, you find out that it was wildly intentional. And in fact, many cases, they did it on purpose to scare people and to cause the, the I mean, it's these the actions were done. It's terrorism. That's what the definition is, regardless of how many times they try to change it. It is using violence to achieve a political end. That is what they're doing everywhere. Right. I mean, you can't deny that. So why were those things not addressed as the U.N. calls for action with Russia? I mean, despite the fact that in this case, you can at least see on one side of this that it was driven to action. You're not going to pretend that any other situation drove them to illegally occupy Afghanistan, drove them to illegally occupy Iraq or Syria or anything else. Oh, you want to talk about 9-11? Don't even let's not even pretend that that is even remotely what we think it is. Let's just watch the documentary we just went over to understand the lies around that, to argue, pretend we invade Afghanistan while convincing the American people Iraq was involved. Like the truth of this is that none of these were justified. Anyway, I can go off on this forever. The point about this is the hypocrisy. Thank God there's people like Claire Daly that are willing to stand up and say these things. Look at their faces. Most of them are aware that that's the reality, but just kind of like upset that she has the nerve to speak it out loud when they know they're not supposed to. But here is what the U.S. government is doing, using all of this. Lawmakers in the United States government seek emergency powers for the Pentagon's Ukraine war contracting. Great. Welcome to the age of emergency governance, right? How long have I been telling you that? So now, because of something else over there, like, so no, this is an emergency. How exactly? How is this emergency for the U.S. government? Of course, they'll use some abstract argument that if we don't, that Russia will take over the world. Because didn't you hear the, the UK intelligence tell us that's what Putin wants? Yeah, that's all they got. The reality is they're using the situation over there that they had a hand in creating to justify that we're in an emergency because of it. Problem, reaction, solution. And guess what? They have a solution. We'll declare an emergency and therefore we'll circumvent the controls that we pretend we abide by around purchasing weapons. Look at that. Perfect. Even though they never abided by them anyway. Now it's just, a, you know, they just remove any, the, the illusion of the blocks. October 17th. Bipartisan legislation, of course, right? Because the illusion is clear when it comes to war and everything else when you pay attention. Bipartisan legislation introduced in the Senate would grant the Pentagon wartime procurement powers. So essentially, you can argue it's a declaration of war in another way, allowing it to buy massive amounts, high-priority munitions, using multi-year contracts to help Ukraine fight Russia. And of course, to refill U.S. stockpiles, you know, of course, weapon sales. So this is just a commitment to exactly what we already told you was happening. They've already earmarked the money all the way to 2030. I'll show you that next. An amendment to the annual defense authorization bill, of course, because that's how these things are always slipped in there. It would let the Pentagon 
lock-in purchases of certain munitions made by Lockheed Martin, Raytheon Technologies, you know, all the merchants of death, they, BAE Systems and Krongsberg Defense and Aerospace over fiscal 2023 and 2024, a step aimed at encouraging manufacturers, because we know how much the merchants of death need to be encouraged to make weapons, right? We have to convince them, oh, please make more bombs, right? Encouraging manufacturers to expand production lines for sought-after munitions. Really, like we need to coerce them into making more weapons. Really? This is how stupid they think we are. The point is, guys, this is already earmarked. This is the Congressional Budget Office. This is, there's a lot more in here, by the way, but this is specifically Ukraine. The whole page. By fiscal year, millions of dollars. And you can see that 2023, they've already earmarked. In this case, the Budget Authority earmarks $7,810 million. Someone wants to do the math in the chat and let people know what that is. It's a lot. But estimated outlays for just 2023 is $1,749 million. And you can see that the earmarks go all the way to 2030. What a weird coincidence. $3 million earmarked in 2030. But 2029, they have $233 million. But you can go to 2026, $1,130 million earmarked for 2026 for the, the Ukraine conflict. So apparently we're guaranteed to have this going until 2030 if you trust their earmarks. Just like we can look at the EU passport situation, how they argued that this would be happening exactly right now, five, six years ago. Guess they were just psychic. The point remains, it's already decided. This is just them now making reality, justifying that spending in 2023 and 2024 at the very least. The Pentagon would also be permitted to team up with NATO to buy weapons for its members in mass quantities. Oh, great. So now Pentagon's going to be buying weapons for NATO? There's your world military. I've been saying that for a long time. And for Ukraine-related contracts, the legislation would ease several key legal restrictions. Because that's what we all call for, right? Please ease the restrictions on military spending. God, isn't that what every American calls for? On the Pentagon procurement through fiscal 2024, assigned lawmakers see the war dragging on. Yeah, are we really even pretending that that's not the case? I just showed you the spending. They, they want this to carry on forever. Even foreign policy, we, we talked about, was writing about this before it started. It's meant to be a quagmire for Russia. Just like it, they planned in Afghanistan with the Mujahideen. It's the same thing. It's written in their documentation. And yet somehow Fox and CNN can't grasp that. The intent of the legislation is to spur the Pentagon and industry to move more aggressively. Because that's what we all want. I mean, my God. This is like everybody Americans calling for more war and more weapons and more industry. That's not what anybody wants. For the move to move, they want them to move more aggressively by removing bureaucratic barriers. Don't you love that? You know, the red tape that ties up everything you do in every part of your life, except they remove it for the war. <laughs> you know, we'll remove the, the red tape for the Pentagon spending, but God forbid you try to, you know, do something barely outside the norm in any situation in your life and you get all tied up. Try and, I mean, go to Canada and try and open a business these days or build a building. It'll take you 45 years if you're not with one of these groups. With an eye not only on Russia, but for poten the potential for a confrontation with China over Taiwan, according to a senior congressional aide who spoke to Defense News on the condition of anonymity. So they're blatantly telling you we are increasing, we are removing the blockages and the red tape, basically declaring an, no, declaring an emergency so, the, so NATO and the U.S. government and the Pentagon can rapidly buy weapons without red tape and bureaucratic barriers because we're war, China, that's coming. Why isn't, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that is telling you what they're doing. 
So we're going to create this problem with China. Oh, don't forget, we're already we're talking about making Taiwan develop weapons there. So China can get upset about that and we can blame them for actions that we take. Quote, whether you want to call it wartime contracting or emergency contracting, we can't play around anymore. Don't miss how important that statement is. They're admitting to you right there. I don't care. Call it war. Call it an emergency. But we're going there. We can't mess around anymore. Great. So we're at war. Are we going to pretend we're not? If the language becomes law, the Department of Defense would be allowed to make non-competitive awards to arms manufacturers for Ukraine-related contracts. It's all about that. Now, interested in the chat, give me non-competitive awards would seem to suggest that, that there's no bidding, right? So essentially, these are people, these the, the people in the right positions that have the right powerful friends will get the right contracts. That's what it says to me. The Inhofe-Reed Amendment would also grant special emergency procurement authorities reserved for contingency operations and waive a requirement that contractors provide certified costs and pricing data. Great. So we're also going to get screwed for it, too, the American taxpayer. A safeguard intended to help ensure the Pentagon is paying reasonable prices. That's not what that sounds like to me. A requirement. So you're going to waive a requirement that contractors provide certified costs and pricing data. So the information about how much it costs and certifying it. And that's a safeguard to ensure that we don't pay too much. Okay, let's, it's the Patriot Act as we remove Patriot to, or, you know, the, it's, it's the opposite, it seems to me, that that will play out, I guess. Maybe I'm wrong. That, that was it. The bottom line is, this is them creating the war emergency, which is, we've had that before. But it's welcome to the age of emergency governance. So this is going to drive you in a direction that they want based on arguments they make that are not rooted in reality, in my opinion. I mean, look, what more do you need to see when they already tell you that they're, they're planning the funding to go all the way to 2030 and then it just stops? So what happened to 2030? Apparently everything. Here, under the No Cold War pla- uh, account shares, I'm not familiar with this other than this tweet. Let me follow them and look for more. They say the chief of U.S. Naval Operations said yesterday, and this was on the 20th, so it was yesterday, that the United States has to be prepared to go to war with China over Taiwan. You see, they're laying this groundwork. Why? Why exactly is that? Do Americans want that? Look, as I've said before, I will always stand by the idea that any group should be allowed to declare their independence from an authoritarian force, or any force, or any government for that matter. You know, exactly the opposite of what the U.S. would allow anywhere they don't want it to happen like leaving Iraq or a state seceding from the country. They won't allow that. They've already made that happen. Except anywhere else can. Or how about Hawaii that doesn't want to be part of this country or Cuba or anywhere else that is trying not to be under the boot of the U.S. government or how about most countries in South America? The point is that they don't care. Donbass can declare its independence and go through the right process and it still doesn't matter, right? Legitimate elections in Venezuela and Bolivia can play out with international observers and they still call it fake. But in this case, Taiwan, who hasn't done any of that, this says they are, or rather the U.S. government does for them. And that's the issue we need to go to war over. These people are maniacs. In my mind, he says that has to be a 2022 or 2023 window. What does that even mean? So we have to go to war between those years or it won't happen? How about it just doesn't happen then? We need to be ready to fight tonight to field the most lethal force that we can. These guys are out of their minds. Listen to this guy. 
you're ready to fight tonight. And so for our last four budget cycles, readiness has been our number one priority. So my approach has been uh, uh, commensurate with my responsibility really to feel the most lethal capable force that we can now and into the future uh, because we're facing a pacing, a pacing threat that is China. If I look at the trends from let's say 2018 um, to now in terms of how we talk about China. In the 2018 NDS, um, we really talked about uh, great power competition and that was a focus. Uh, and now based on what we're seeing from an increasingly aggressive China and Russia, um, we are now, uh, we have our eyes on preparing ourselves for uh, uh, potential uh, uh, fight tonight. And so that could happen at any time and combatant commanders have talked about different time frames, but, but it's a very real thing. And I don't want to field ships out there in a fight uh, that aren't lethal, capable, and ready uh, to win. Let's start with the fight tonight comments that he made. Um, recently, uh, China hosted its 20th Communist Party Congress. Um, you know, the big headline to come out of that was looking at a potentially faster reunification timeline with Taiwan. And I just wonder, you know, the Navy had really considered this uh, so-called Davidson window of 2027. And hearing what came out of China um, in the past week, I just wonder what that means for the Navy. Uh, in my mind, uh, that has to be a 2022 window or potentially a 2023 window. I can't rule that out. Hmm. God, I mean, th th that, these are the people that are driving our, our military policy. That the that is that guy. The, the, if you think that way, that we have to make this happen, wh why is everybody alarmed by that? And what is it? Are the guys that were fighting for the in, the freedom of Taiwan? I mean, th this is. There's so many conversations to have about whether the American people want that, whether that's in the best interest of the American people, and does that even matter to them? I mean, how, are we really going to pretend that they care at all costs about the freedom of the Taiwanese people? That's what they're, they're willing to die on that hill. That's not what they don't care at all about the situation. They are using this as an agenda, as a, as a tool in regard to their game with China. They'll even openly say that. Oh, sorry, I have this in the wrong spot. They'll even openly say that in t think tanks and conversations. But then just pretend like that's not what's actually happening. Now here, just to kind of overlap the foreign policy point, this is what Joe Biden literally just tweeted. This is yesterday, again. Not only is this completely disconnected from reality, what they're currently doing around the world, they're saying he's saying this while they're doing what they're doing. Think about how ridiculous that is. MAGA forces, which I don't even know what that means anymore. Are we talking about literally anybody that wore a hat that said MAGA? Are we talking about anybody that voted for Trump that believes make America great again? Or are you talking about some specific fringe QAnon version? Like, they, they don't want to, do, to be defined. They want you to take it as Republicans. But then when they get pressed, they'll call it something else. But he says MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards. I don't even see how that makes sense, seeing as how they're simply adhering to the documentation of this country. Backwards to an America where there's no right to choose. How exactly? How is there no right to choose when there's the Constitution, when we're talking about the people that are screaming about the, the, the integrity of the election? I mean, it's just so insulting. That it's the opposite of what they're saying. No right to privacy. 
Okay, so as you're trying to force people to admit their private medical situation, and they're the ones fighting for that not to be the case, they're the ones. I mean, think about how dumb this is. No right to contraception. Now you can argue there's plenty of Republicans that don't agree with the or aggressively disagree with the idea of abortion, and would take the stance that it's not morally correct and shouldn't be legal. So you could argue that that's in there somewhere, but the idea that that's every single Republican is just simply dumb. That's not true. No right to marry who you love. Again, same point. You could make the same thing in reverse and make it a a uh, hyperbolic version of what they say on the left, that you can kill a baby until it's 25 years old or, you know, whatever. You could go ridiculous about it, but there's some level of truth in there. But you see, this is the ridiculous nature of our political system, and it's all sides. But, but don't forget why this is happening. If you're out there and you you identify as MAGA or Trump supporter or whatever, they are trying to set you up. They want you to take the bait. Don't do it. And this is on that same vein. This is this is just. I think they've they've gotten so desperate because nobody's buying what they're selling, whether in Ukraine, the vaccine, or the vanilla ISIS nonsense. They're not taking the bait. They didn't take it on January 6th, and they were forced to call that an insurrection, which makes them look stupid. This is literally where they're going now. So we can't, we don't have enough white supremacy to make the argument. So we're going to go with light supremacy. The people that are just underneath the idea of white supremacy, but they're still, they're almost there. That's not, that's, this is not a joke. This is a political insider. And guess what they're, guess what they're calling the people who they're accusing of light supremacy? (laughs) Hispanics, right? So that's not just mean that they're racist. How is it white supremacy if they're not white? So it's racism. But see, we don't want to use the word racism anymore. It's all white people and that's it. At least in this garbage narrative they're pushing. Right? So if it's a Mexican or Hispanic or whatever you want to call them being racist, well, that's just them being white supremacists, but just under the surface. But they're not white, though, so it doesn't make sense. But who cares about facts? You know, vanilla ISIS and all that nonsense. October 17th. But what's funny about it, first of all, is the title was something else first. You can see in the URL, New York Times columnist frets about light supremacy after Democrat L.A. Council president resigns over racist remarks. And you can see here the headline has been updated. What's strange to me, not that this is really a story here, just first of all realizing that they're regularly up to changing. I guess that title didn't really sit well with some people, so they altered it. (laughs) That's how the journalism of today works in the corporate media. But But first I went to find the Wayback Machine to see if there's anything changed. Check this out. The, this, this link says, sorry, the URL has been excluded from the Wayback Machine. I've only seen that two or three times, but that's happening. How exactly does that work? Does that mean this platform, or this outlet has made that happen? Is it a government thing? Or is that the Wayback Machine making that? I mean, how does that even work? Somebody's influencing that. And apparently now there's link. So this breaks the Wayback Machine. If that's even possible, then it's all gone. So it's sad, but apparently ever, I mean, we, it's on the internet, so it can be influenced. So I just think that's very crazy. <clears throat> now, the point here, the New York Times columnist, J- Charles Blow, his latest column suggests racist remarks by a Democrat Los Angeles County S- City Council president indicate, <clears throat> excuse me, that she was doing the work of white supremacy <laughs> while he openly worried about a new scourge in America. He called light supremacy. Wow. I mean, it's just sad. Like, if you need to go this far out of your way to make up a villain, probably not really there, or at least not the villain that you want it to be. Meanwhile, 
what is far more concerning is what you're openly doing in the name of freedom around the world or however you want to look at this a thousand different examples but this gets more ridiculous than you think la council president nuri martinez was forced to resign from her leadership role she's hispanic last week after leaked audio showed her along with other latino council members making openly racist remarks some of which were directed at guess what a white, a white colleague and his black son. Okay, so now you're making derogatory comments about a white person, and somehow because that translates to white supremacy. Except you're, I mean, I don't even think they care if it makes sense. As long as you can frame this as being white supremacy, something and bad guy right, some tangent. I mean, my God. So the bottom line is again, this is a Hispanic person, and because. They want to frame this as white supremacy. Just anybody being racist somewhere is somehow a, a tangential part of white supremacy, not just racism, right? I mean, this is the kind, the, I don't know, I bet you this person believes this somehow because they are happy to ignore the facts in the pursuit of their agenda. We see it everywhere. Martinez had criticized the white council member for using his son as an accessory and raising him like a little white kid. Okay, so this is clearly derogatory towards white people. And what he's saying is you're basically, you, you're taking this, your black son and treating him like an accessory. So that's attacking the white person for being racist, essentially. And, and, that, and that becomes white light supremacy? She also called Braun and Son S.A. Chonguito, Spanish for that little monkey. Okay, well, so there, if you want to make an issue, you could say they're being racist against the black kid. How does that translate to white supremacy if she's Hispanic? Martinez, who will reportedly keep her position on the city council, also slammed Los Angeles County District George uh, Gasson, saying, F that guy, he's with the blacks. These are Hispanic people. Now, you can go further. It just gets more and more ridiculous. But the point here is that there's no such thing as apparently as, Hista as as Hispanic supremacy or black supremacy or any other version of it. It's only white supremacy. That's the only thing that exists. And even now, if you are just racist as another ethnicity, you just become light supremacy. Talk about shoehorning in everything to your agenda. This is all about the agenda that they want to make it into, again, which is the MAGA, right, ISIS, oh, oh, right, vanilla ISIS nonsense. I mean, if they're willing to say vanilla ISIS, which is about as dumb as it gets, let's not pretend like light supremacy is any more crazy. It's, it's it's the pursuit of the agenda at all costs. My God. Now, before we get into the COVID-19 part of this, well, this is a part of it, essentially, but there's the middle ground here between that conversation and the next. Neil Ferguson's calculator points out two images of policing. One at a just stop oil protest. The other at an anti-lockdown freedom rally. See if you can guess which is which. Okay, in this one, you've got a cop gently giving the protester some water. In this one, you got a woman being violently shoved to the ground. Can you guess which is which? Obviously, you know. For the podcast, the point is that the people that are protesting for their freedom are treated as terrorists. The people that are protesting against oil are treated like they're heroes. Why is one different? Right? You can't pretend that that woman who's being knocked to the ground is doing anything other than protesting like the people on the other side. It's all because there are political agendas. 
This is my point. It could not be more clear. People are not falling for this anymore. Now, here's a clip from Milk Bar TV, which makes the same argument. Nobody missed how ridiculous this was, right? As he points out, remember when they paused the pandemic for the Black Lives Matter protest, but only the Black Lives Matter protest? I mean, how much more transparent can that get? So we're all going to die, except this political movement's just that important that we pretend it doesn't matter for now, for a moment. But you protesting your freedom doesn't matter. City Mayor Bill de Blasio giving the go-ahead for Black Lives Matter's protesters to continue marching. This is a historic moment of change. We have to respect that, but also say to people, the, the kinds of gatherings we're used to, we just can't have that while we're focusing on health right now. Cities across the United States remain in a state of high tension tonight as the country braces itself for another wave of protests over the death of George Floyd. Direct contact with each other, and I feel sad for them. Quick point before I let it finish out. Think about the context of, like, the Trump discussion or about, you know, saying, you know, good people on both sides in the Charlottesville, despite the fact that you can prove that the Azov movement was, that was their political arm that was present, which is the CIA connection. So that was clearly meant to be a setup in and of itself, in my opinion. But simply saying there's good people on all sides. Not to say that everybody there was good. Any, a, a child could realize that's the statement, but that becomes he's supporting white supremacy, right? But then you could point at these and say, well, no, they're you know, so mostly this or mostly that. And that's okay, though. Despite you could prove that there was a lot of violence there. Just like the other situation. That's called hypocrisy. Then these demonstrators, because they're going to... They could take something home to their children, which is uh, would be irresponsible. And because of thousands, millions of people around the world who came out for justice. Should we limit the protesting? I, I'm not sure what you mean. Should How do we say limit the protesting? It is not enough to say to protesters, go home and follow the rules. It's still happening. I stand with the protesters. Did the government limit the protesting? I, I, I don't think that's relevant to... Well, you just said if it increases the spread of the virus. On his COVID spreader tour, he's going around spreading COVID. He cares more about having big crowds than he does about keeping people safe. When I saw the mobilization primarily led by young people, over the last year, it gave me hope. You are involved in this protest. We will actively look to identify you and follow up with financial sanctions and criminal charges. Well, I'm, I'm not in a position to determine what the government can do in a forceful way. I recommended to the president that we shut the country down. Arrested over a Facebook post wanting to organize a peaceful and socially distant protest. Um, we said we'd be coming out and we'd be holding people to account, and that's exactly what we've done. Victoria Police understands and acknowledges the anger and frustration people feel about events taking place overseas, uh, and we're very keen to support community here uh, in giving voice to their concerns and their protests. And that's when I knew these people are a bunch of frauds. Yeah, including you, bud. And I'm sorry, Milk TV, but I agree. I don't, I don't buy him for a second these days. But... As Pomi points out in the chat, rightly so, think about the absurdity of having, I mean, a, 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 you know, first of all, there's very clear arguments for people there that the flag they pointed at 
the Nazi flag or whatever, which is ridiculous in and of itself for to be waving that in the context of what the protest was about was by somebody that was not part of the protest. But regardless, let's just say it was a person that did that. The point that someone just made in the chat, right, is that you can have a, you know, an entire protest labeled as one thing because of what a few people did, but then the Azov movement's misunderstood. You just don't understand they're under their their political allegiances or their tattoos or their shirts or their ta- their or their flags or everything. No, no, no. It's all confusion and it's all propaganda from Russia. But that one flag means they're all crazy. You know, it's it's just sad how willfully dishonest all of this is. And this is why people can't. If you care enough and you are honest and objective, this is childishly obvious. This is cartoonish. And I thought I do I do believe most people are seeing through it. But going over into the COVID part of this, I saw I put this out. Uh, this was today, I think yesterday, actually. This is a, a, a clip about I played this in the beginning about basically it is telling you what they would do in this situation, which is not care what your perception is. Just do it anyway, because they decide it's for the betterment of everybody, even if it doesn't have to be what they actually think. Right. That they I, I don't buy that. They think this is for everyone's best interest. But the argument would go that this is what they would do in that circumstance. So if you didn't see the beginning, watch this and realize that this is what I believe is happening right now. Why don't we blow the system up? I mean, obviously, we can't just turn off the spigot on the system we have and then say, hey, everyone in the world should get this new vaccine we haven't given to anyone yet. But there must be some way that we grow vaccines mostly in eggs the way we did in 1947. In order to make the transition from getting out of the tried and true egg growing, which we know gives us results that can be, you know, beneficial. I mean, we've done well with that to something that has to be much better. Uh, You have to prove that this works. And then you've got to go through all of the clinical trials, phase ones, phase twos, phase three, and then show that this particular product is going to be good over a period of years. That alone, if it works perfectly, is going to take a decade. Okay, so how do you explain that point right there with what they're talking about today? How can it be the longest trial, safest, best safety trial all time ever, ever in history? You know, it's it's just it's ridiculous that we can we can't overlap those things, which shows you the absolute ineptitude or willful ignorance of the corporate media. There might be a need or even an urgent call for uh, an entity right. of excitement out there that's completely disruptive, that's not beholden to bureaucratic strings and, and, and processes. So we really do have a problem of how the world perceives influenza, and it's going to be very difficult to change that unless you do it from within and say, I don't care what your perception is, we're going to address the problem in a disruptive way and in an iterative way. Okay, well, welcome to the current reality. Whether we're talking climate change discussion, Great Reset, US, you know, sustainable development goals, or the COVID-19 situation, it doesn't matter what he's talking about. It's to say exactly, we don't care what your perception is. It may be disruptive and, and you know, cause your problems in your life, but we've decided it's the right thing to do. Now, that part of it may not even be true, but that's what they're saying, and that's what they're doing right now. Because you do need both. But it is not too crazy to think that an outbreak of a novel avian virus could occur in in China somewhere. We could get the RNA sequence from that, beam it to a number of regional centers 
if not local, if not even in your home at some point, and print those vaccines on a patch and self-administer. Now, outside of the patch self-administer, that's exactly what happened. That was all stated before COVID-19 ever started, right? So are we going to pretend that wasn't the plan? Like they just discovered this mRNA platform direction, and they, right? That was the plan. They chose that. That's what he's talking about. That's why they got the genetic code. They didn't need it to be isolated, whether or not it ever was. It wasn't at the time. They've made, and the and same injections are still being used. So whether or not it was isolated really is irrelevant to the context of what they're doing. And I argue that's why they're hurting people in one, one, many, one of many reasons that's happening. Now, that being said, realize that where we are right now is that process. Them going, we don't care what your perception is. We're going to do it anyway. And that's what just happened in the context of the child vaccination schedule, or rather the CDC vote about whether that's the case. Now, let's get into this conversation because there's nuance that's important here, right? First of all, we talked about this in regard to the vote that just happened today. They did, in fact, vote to add this. Now, the point is that it's not then a mandate. It's left to the states. But that does not mean and that's all this Tucker clip is actually good. We'll play this one. The, rega- the reality that the states in many cases will for sure for- mandate this because the CDC said to or rather said that it should be on the schedule. So in many cases, it automatically translates to mandate. So it's not inaccurate to say that, but it's not the full picture. Right. And the idea is that this is more so about the indemnity that this creates than, in my opinion, the mandate that this would could lead to. But mark my words, in most states, even Republican states, I argue that this will happen because of this choice. Now, the other part of it is to realize they voted for this unanimously, despite the evidence, despite the science, despite the clear catastrophic damage this is creating on top of the fact that we can prove that they don't need it, that they're not at risk, and the dramatically high risk of myocarditis, none of this makes sense. Here's what Tucker has to say. Oh, wait. Shoot, I forget which one. Hold on. How long is this one? Three minutes? There it is. an amazing story that's been effectively buried. This week, the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices is expected to add the COVID-19 vax to the list of required childhood vax. Oh, that, this one's before. So this was yesterday, just to be clear. And he brings on uh, uh, Johns Hopkins uh, McCary to, to tell you his thoughts on it. And then we'll jump to current and show you the votes and what happened and what they said. Vaccines. If this happens, your children will not be able to attend school without taking the COVID shot. Now, the problem is there is no medical basis for this decision whatsoever. Even the CEO of Moderna has just admitted that most people do not need the booster. In fact, in this country, it's like 4% of adults have gotten the booster because they know now. We're quoting. It's going to be similar to the flu, he said. So what is this exactly? Dr. Marty McCary is a man we trust. He's a professor at Johns Hopkins University. He joins us tonight to assess. Doctor, thanks so much for coming on. Is it an overstatement to say there's really no medical justification for this? Well, there's certainly no clinical data. They've got data from eight mice on the Omicron vaccine in young people. And the child vaccine story is essentially a story of bypassing clinical data, which is why many of us are asking, why even have an FDA? Why do we even do clinical trials? Right now, we've got pharma saying, hey, we did a study. We're going to give you the top line of the press release. We're going to call the White House. And the White House then calls the FDA and the CDC and tells them to get in line. They bought 100 
170 million doses of this new Omicron vaccine. There has never been a vaccine added to the child immunization schedule without solid clinical evidence that it reduces disease significantly in the community. Now, that's a huge point to understand. Again, taken separate from everything else, whether or not it's being mandated because the CDC voted, whether that vote translates to being on the schedule, all the conversations being had. The, the, the first point to realize is that this is unprecedented, regardless of how it translates. They do not have the evidence, and yet they're doing it anyway. Now, the only way in the past that's made sense in their argument is because we're all going to die because COVID is so serious and it's spreading and it's bigger, worse than the plague and whatever, right? Except they already tell you that's not the case. You can't point at undefined long COVID and what they may be down the line. The variants could come and make this make sense. The risk that comes along with this, the, re- the even their arguable de- the arguments of what the data is, even though we can prove it's much worse than that. They don't know. We're talking about the bivalent shock here that's being put on these schedules, and that is unprecedented and dangerous. Even if you argue it's just unknown, that's dangerous. How do you justify that? The COVID vaccine in children will be the first. It will be added with no clinical data. And many of us that are saying, hey, let's see the data, we're basically told, stop asking questions. Dr. Ja, who's the chief COVID advisor at the White House, has said he has seen the data, but it's not public information. What are they hiding? Why can't we see this information? And I mean, look, if, if we, it's like we can't learn a lesson for, the, for those that are, in, are buying this. We, we already went through the process where Pfizer refused to release data, got forced to do so, and when it did, showed you they were lying for crying out loud. And here we are again in the same process, and we just go, oh, we can't show you. Whether it's the Pfizer or the government or the FDA, it doesn't matter. We are being lied to. We keep catching them lying or withholding information for their own reasons, manipulative reasons that benefit them and don't hurt, don't help the people. And yet here we are again. This is a criminal organization. I just don't know how to get past that. What's happening is wildly unprecedented. And that's why we have people starting to push out of the argument, whether it's by design to circumvent the independent media position or not. People like Dr. Drew and Marholta and all these other people that were gigantic mainstream figures are now coming out and not going, well, maybe they're saying this is bad, dangerous. We should pause the whole thing. And it continues anyway. Instead, we're basically seeing this intense paternalism to really just do what we say and stop asking questions. And the CDC's committee that's voting, I mean, that is essentially a kangaroo court. You have to be an official card-carrying vaccine fanatic to be on that committee. If you're not, then basically they're not going to accept people who think that some vaccines are important and others lack the evidence to support broad distribution. Remember, one in 5,000 vaccine doses results in a severe adverse event, according to data from overseas, from Germany, because we don't fund that research in the U.S. As well as Israel's government being caught on the record saying that we were, they, were, they had to cover up the reality because they were going to be sued. How do all of these pieces are falling together? Again, this is why everybody sees it. And in Israel, they took 283 people who got myocarditis from the vaccine. One of them died. Two were in the ICU. So (laughs) if thousands of people are going to get myocarditis from this indiscriminate vaccination in young, healthy people, we're going to see some unintended harm. And my concern is that some schools may blindly accept this. So if the CDC decides to go ahead and put this on the routine vaccine schedule, It'll be up to states. And that's where I think parents have a right to say, let's see some clinical data before we force this as a requirement for school. 
Absolutely. Exactly the point. And, and, that, and that's not, it's not outside the realm of, uh, it's not irrational to ask for evidence before you stick a needle in your child's arm. But that's being framed as crazy right now. The action, the, the crazy is being framed as sane. Now here is the next uh, clip afterward. Now he, he did his segment and the CDC tw- uh, basically captioned his tweet about it or his uh, clip about it and said Thursday, the CDC's independent advisory committee, the ACIP will vote on an updated childhood immunization schedule. States establish vaccine requirements for school children, not us, essentially. Well, isn't that literally what he just said in that? Yes, it is. So I'm not sure exactly why they think they're checking this somehow. It seems kind of silly, doesn't it? Seeing as though you've heard McCarty literally say that that's the state's choice. Okay. So as it says, the CDC complained about the segment on COVID vaccine being required for kids at 10 school. We stand by what we said. Here's our response. Now, there's more than just the clip you saw. I, I agree with where they're standing on this, that this does clearly translate in many cases, if not most, to direct for d- the mandate for children to go to school. There's plenty of places that do this because like the flu is on that schedule. And so they make the kids get flu shots before they can go to school. Same point. Different technology, wildly more dangerous. And we're just shoehorning this into the childhood schedule. That's in and of itself crazy. But I, I'll, I'll get into more of the nuance in a moment. The important part is that this is, again, about the indemnity that this allows them. Now, actually, I'll play this one, then I'm going to play that clip from uh, RFK Jr. again, just so people understand why that's important. Now, an update that we think is important on a story we told you about last night. The CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices was on the verge of adding the COVID vaccine to the childhood immunization schedule. That vote is scheduled for tomorrow. Now, as we said, if that vote passes, children will be forced to take the shot, the shot they do not need, no scientific basis for acquiring it, and the shot that could hurt them. They have to take that shot in order to be educated in the United States in a public school. Well, in response to our segment, the CDC complained on Twitter. They claimed that states and not the CDC established vaccine requirements for school children. But like so much else that we have heard from the CDC, and it pains us to say this, but it's true. Like so much else they have told us over the last two years, they're lying. And they know they're lying. More than a dozen states follow the CDC's immunization schedule to set vaccination requirements, not suggestions, requirements for children to be educated. For example, the Virginia Department of Health states that, quote, vaccines must be administered in accordance with the CDC's schedule. The state of Massachusetts says, quote, no student shall attend a preschool, elementary school, or secondary school program without a certificate certificate of immunization documenting that a child has been successfully immunized in accordance with a schedule that was, quote, developed in accordance with the recommendations of the CDC's advisory panel. Tennessee says its immunization requirement, quote, follow the current schedule from the CDC. New Jersey, Vermont, Ohio say virtually the same thing. We could go on. The point is the CDC sets the standard and then it becomes required across the country. And of course, they know that. Of course they know that. If they know anything, they know that. So we called the CDC and asked a simple question. Do you deny that once the COVID vaccine is added to the childhood immunization schedule, many schools and states will require it based on your recommendation? And of course they know that's true. We caught them lying, so they didn't even bother to respond to us because apparently we're not American citizens and don't deserve a response. Hmm. Does not enhance your faith. The reality is that this does translate. And here, here is what 
uh, Jenin Jonas, who is a civil liberties attorney, responded under this clip. Actually, your guidance in regard to the CDC, well, this is the CDC's tweet, was used to justify employer mandates nationwide, right? This already happened, right? So we already see how their guidance clearly translates to a national, you know, state to state, but ended up being a nationwide mandate, which I know well because I litigated many vaccine mandate cases. Courts said that if it is CDC guidance, it's rational. Hence, employers can mandate. There you go. Right. So legally speaking, we already have the precedent for why that's happened already based on the suggestion from the CDC. And that's how they do frame it. They'll undoubtedly say the same about schools. I, exactly. That's, a, that's just an attorney telling you the reality of it. Now, as Derek points out, and this is important, and this is why I, I greatly respect Derek's work as well. This is what I myself try to maintain, right? As I jokingly say in the past, irritatingly objective, right? But he points out, he, he lists this, and I'll show you next. CDC panel unanimously votes to add COVID-19 mRNA shots to the recommended ba- childhood vaccine schedule in the United States. And he said, this is what I'm talking about. The vote didn't add the shots to the childhood schedule. The vote today did. Uh, and even this doesn't mean it's now required. It means that it's up to the states. Facts do matter. Don't give the fact checkers room to discredit you 100%. And the reality is this is what happens in the partisan media where it gets kind of, you know, hyperbolic. Even though you could argue that it's broadly true, it becomes the thing that they use to fact check you and so on, which you know, it's up to you whether you want to play that, you know, care about the fact checkers. But the point is that they dove, that is, they, that's used to manipulate other people that are still willing to buy what the fact checkers tell them. So just it's important that we try our best to maintain to be as accurate as possible at all times. And we all we all fail from time to time. But as Doom falls up and says, but we all know that most states follow the guidelines. And now it's time to get a hold of your state governor and give them the facts. And, you know, I mean, we'll see what happens, especially in places like Florida and the states that people want to believe are pushing back. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say I do think that they're going to push back on this, but wouldn't surprise me if they didn't. He says, yeah, I think it's only about a dozen or so that have policies that automatically align with the CDC. So that alone for me is enough. But what most will go with their recommendation for sure, unless people turn in, turn into a real issue and they, he agrees. The important part is about is we at all costs, we need to remain objective and do our best to be as accurate as possible because it will be used against us. But here is the CDC board that has approved the childhood immunization schedule. Whether or not the states decide to use that, which I argue mo- almost all of them will, is the question whether they do, but all are owned as this person, Liz Churchill writes by the bill, bill Gates and made the current decision to provide liability to the physical, excuse me, pharmaceutical industrial complex. Absolute. Now, the reason they say that is because these people are connected in some way to the bill and Gates foundation and groups that are funded by them. So it's, I wouldn't argue you could, I would agree personally that those groups are wildly, if these people are very clearly influenced by that, whether they're owned by them, that's a choice to state it that way. But I do completely agree. And you can you can look through this and you'll see it's not hard to realize the overlap of these people tied to companies that are funded by this massive outlet. But here is getting into the idea of what they actually said. Here's Wittgenstein. Thank you for clipping these things out. So we have to go through the entire thing. CDC presents their case, quote, for the inclusion of covid vaccines in routine vaccination program. Now, this uh, this is just the we've seen this before as we go through these uh, meetings. You can see the slides. But you can listen to the audio of what they're saying. In summary, COVID-19 vaccination is the single best way to protect people from serious COVID-19 illness. Right there. Patently false. Not even including, in my opinion, all of the dramatically crazy side effects that make that irrelevant. 
even if there was a benefit, but the fact that that's not even true. You can show a lot of other natural things, whether we're talking vitamin D, vitamin C, or other, how about just even ivermectin in this case? But the point that not that's natural, but a lot of other things being healthy, dietary, the, the fact that that is your best protection. These injections in every possible way, increase your risk, whether it's the first week or after the first month or three months later, or the continuation of what it does to your body, or the na lipid nanoparticles that increase inflammation, increase your risk of illness, or the mRNA that does the same, or the spike protein that can literally cause a thousand different problems in your body that continues to be made. I mean, guys, it's ridiculously obvious. To argue it's the best way to protect yourself from something that most people are not in danger of catching or let alone dying from is madness, especially talking about children. And we'll get into the actual risk, even their stated actual risk in a moment, which will probably pull your mind. But don't forget that the Oxford Calculator has argued the data shows that children are at one in a million risk of dying from 19 and lower. 19-year-olds, one in a million chance of dying. Meaning it's basically impossible. As we generally use that term in the, you know, as ah, a one in a million, right? It means it's not impossible. It just means it's very unlikely. And that got way, 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 way less possible with Omicron, as they argue. And so now we're going to say that these people that have one one thousandth of the risk that was moments ago, one in a million chance of dying, those people, their best way of protecting themselves from something they're almost guaranteed not to deal with is by giving them a shot that increases their risk of myocarditis. One of the 3,000 to one in 5,000, the argument is, along with everything else. Does that even remotely sound like benefits outweigh the risks? Yet they'll, they'll say it for sure. COVID-19 vaccines continue to be effective in reducing the risk of severe disease, hospitalization, and death. Again, three things they never even studied. They're only saying that because of what they claim they can see in the real world, even though the real world literally shows you the opposite. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Because don't forget, as even Dr. Peter McCullough and others are pointing out, as I myself have said, the same point about transmission. We've been saying this since the beginning because the studies are still there. They still make it clear. They only tried to look for reduction of mild to moderate symptoms. That is it. They're lying to you. Including against the currently circulating Omicron variants. However, we know that many children haven't yet initiated a COVID-19 vaccine primary series. So we have continued work to do. So why does that make sense? You're arguing we need the new bivalent shot because there's something different going on. You're arguing that the original strain is not even there. But you need to do the first two to get this next thing. The only reason that would make sense is if there's something more going on within these shots that we don't know about. Like somebody won't explain that to me. I argue she couldn't explain that to me. Why do we need the first two shots that don't have an effect on what's going on? At the very least, you argue it has a small effect that still translates, but it doesn't have. That's why we made the new one, because this is something different. But you still have to do it. I mean, guys, there's something very, very sinister about that right there. So all eligible children are able to get vaccinated. Then we know that the benefits of COVID-19 vaccination outweigh the known and potential risks, including huh. the very small risk of myocarditis or pericarditis. Oh, the very small risk. One in 3,000. No big deal. You know, even though it's, it's uh, even Dr. Drew admitted that before COVID, if you had myocarditis, it was like rushed to the hospital at all costs because you might die. That's how serious it was until COVID made it about a, oh, kids get heart attacks. No big deal. The very small, how can you even say the very small risk? These are people that are towing the line and probably don't even know the difference because they believe that what the CDC hands them is the truth and is they're doing research. How else do you explain that? Their studies 
show you that it's dramatically higher. The peer-reviewed science, the most up-to-date on this topic, shows you it is dramatically higher than very small risk. Next slide. So overall, over 30 million children and adolescents have received at least one COVID-19 vaccine dose. Which I love how they didn't do that. When they, that, that. That's supposed to imply that somehow that proves that it's safe. Right. That only makes it look safe when you ignore the 10, 15 million people that are suffering side effects because we can't prove it. Theirs, we don't know for sure. So therefore, it's not real. Therefore, 30 million, all safe. Done and done, right? No problem. I mean, just because you ignore everything that's happening and all the collapsing athletes and all the heart attacks and all the blood clots and everything that's happening, you just go 30 million, therefore safe. That's how ridiculous this is. And while that's great progress, there is still much work to do to increase coverage among children. Coverage exactly. What does that mean? Oh, because it stops transmission? No. So what is that? What's the point there? So we need this many people so we're all covered so it's safe. So it doesn't stop transmission. So how does more people getting it save anybody? Like you could argue it's helping them. And I just proved that's not true. But this argument that we need more people to get vaccinated so we save everybody. They're still making this argument. That's all rooted on the idea that it stops transmission. It's like they they admit that we're the near like Pfizer. Like their argument has now become that we never thought it stopped transmission. Except their entire argument is still rooted in the fact that it stopped transmission. That's how ridiculous this is. As we'll be discussing today and tomorrow, incorporation of the COVID-19 vaccines in the immunization schedule in the Vaccines for Children, or VFC, program is an important step towards inclusion of COVID-19 vaccines in a routine vaccination program. <laughs> so what? So is it, this is an important step because you, once you take this step, then it's included in the program. Doesn't that make sense? Well, what's the why does it need to be? In the pro- because then when you do it, it's in the program. Like, listen to what she says in a routine inclusion of COVID important step towards inclusion of COVID-19 the vaccines for children or VFC program is an important step towards inclusion of COVID-19 vaccines in a routine vaccination program. I want to hear this again. Next slide. So overall, over 30 adolescents have received at least one COVID-19 vaccine dose. And while that's great progress, there is still much work to do to increase coverage among children. As we'll be discussing today and tomorrow, incorporation of the COVID-19 vaccines in the immunization schedule in the Vaccines for Children, or VFC. Okay, so as we're going to be discussing tomorrow, the incorporation of these injections in that schedule, FC program, is an important step towards inclusion of COVID-19 vaccines in a routine vaccination program. Right. Okay. (laughs) What am I missing? Now, I get that the vaccine, that what she's essentially saying is the incorporation of these on the schedule is an important step to make sure these end up on routine programs. But you're essentially saying the same thing. All they're trying to make it out to be is that our, what we're doing is not the, doesn't translate exactly to being on those programs. It's just an important step. They know that people take this guidance and bring it to reality. That's the point. But it's just, it's just kind of a funny thing that the justification for why it needs to happen is so that it ends up on the program. Isn't that interesting? We'll hear more about the VFC vote next, but I want to highlight that the details of the implementation for the COVID-19 vaccine VFC program will require ongoing work, but the ACIP vote allows the progress to begin. So it's not the finish line, it's the start line. And then we'll- Details of the implementation of the program will require ongoing work. I'm not even sure what that means. So just like everything else, they're flying by the seat of their pants and like, we're going to begin it before we even know what's happening. 
probably. But this this was this was the, over the process of yesterday into today. Between the 19th and the 20th, they were going through the process of information, and today they have finalized the vote. So essentially, the process of voting started yesterday, but the actual votes were tallied today. That's the point. And that's what they're, that's, this is the information justifying this, essentially. We'll hear more from Dr. Santoli about VFC next, but I just want to highlight that the point of the VFC vote is to allow for un- or underinsured children to have access to COVID-19 vaccines at a time in the future for when the vaccine transitions to a commercial market. We- oh, okay, so again, the idea that this is just guaranteed to be a regular shot that we take all the time. Don't miss that. The foregone conclusion that they're still debating. Apparently they know. Big surprise, right? This is your future, new normal. But what they're essentially saying is, oh, we're going to put this on the regular schedule for all children everywhere just so kids that don't have insurance can get it. Yeah. Does that sound like that makes sense to anybody? As always, it's about equity. Equity. The ra- It's racist. We need to make sure that these get forced on the black children too, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just it's silly to me that the argument is that the the children that are just desperate to get it but can't afford it i don't even think that's real is the justification for putting this on the schedule for all of them i do does she even believe that we know that both now and in the future equitable access to covid19 vaccines for all ages and populations remains critically important of course even if they don't need it even if it's deadly make sure they get it though so it's fair Again, this includes now, while the vaccines are being supplied by the federal government, and in the future, when we one day move to a commercial program. Mm-hmm. Now, here is the next one. This one is the vote itself. See, this is one that Derek was sharing. The CDC votes 15 to 0. 15 to 0 to add COVID-19 injections to Vaccines for Children program, the, v- the VFC. Now, the important part about this is that they all voted unanimously, despite the evidence. People like Paul Offit, like, but this is why they skipped the process of allowing the the actual, like, Paul Offit was involved in the first vote, but there was supposed to be another process where they bring in outside discussion. That's what we've seen them speak of in the past, where, like, Steve Kirch, for example, will be able to speak. They, they just skipped that process, and this is exactly why. These people, as even Tucker pointed out, or, or no, it was actually McCary pointed out, that they're just, they are fanatics. They, and this is they, these people are on this group or in this group because of that sense. They already agree unanimously about where this needs to go. They all agree that they're ignoring the vaccine and the anti-vaxxers, which along with that is all the peer-reviewed science, right? That's what's happening. Here they are. Uh, I'm going to check to make sure um, folks can hear me. I'm going to actually move to Ms. McNally. McNally, no conflict. Yes. Thank you. Dr. Bell? Bell, no conflict. Yes. Now you get the gist of it. Now the point is no conflict, right? I mean, every one of these people have conflicts of interest. Thank you. Dr. Lair? Lair, no conflicts. Yes. Yes. Conflict, yes. Neas, no conflicts. Yes. Conflicts, yes. Zeros. Or 15-4, no against. Wow. 15-4, no against. It's amazing. Now here is, this is an interesting clip, actually. Somebody whispers something to him, and you can hear it, and then he repeats it. It's very strange. I'm wondering who that was. CDC clarifies, and this just shows you that they hear what we're doing and what we're saying during the vote, mind you. So that means they're willfully ignoring all the information that people are talking about. How is that even possible? The, I, I, the, that, 
makes you wonder that some of these people are truly aware of the reality. It's hard to miss that. But they clarify that the schedule resolution saying that COVID vax mandate for schools will be state's decision. Just listen to the way they say this. So they're, they're addressing what we are saying, what Tucker is saying. I just wanted to make sure that everyone understood that this is not a policy change, nor is it a mandate for the use of the vaccine. It is a way to ensure access to this vaccine for those individuals, those children that don't have insurance. Again, there's the argument, right? That's all. That's the only reason. So we're going to basically allow states to force this on every child because we want the poor ones to get the dangerous injection. Doesn't that make sense? So uh, I really wanted to make that clear. Thank you. Listen. Thank you, Dr. Romero. That is, yeah. that, that Can is you a, just elaborate a little bit on that to help us out? Right. So, so again, let me state the, the second part of what I said, which is this is an access issue. This is an issue to allow children that don't have insurance to gain access to this vaccine. Um, it's particularly important as we move on to commercialization of the vaccine. It is not... It is not listing this as a routine vaccine for children to enter school. And it is not a change in our policy for these vaccines, for these routine vaccines in children. I mean, that that's blatantly not true. This is what Tucker was talking about. The, the idea that this is not being, it's added to the schedule. That's what this is. Just because they add it for a different reason doesn't change the fact that states will then use that justification to give this to children. This, I mean, this is, I, I would be willing to argue this is about legality. Somehow knowing that if they say it a certain way, it'll give them an out in regard to some kind of legal prosecution. How else do you see this? We're talking about this. This is the this is the program we're discussing, the VFC program. So they are adding it to that by claiming, but it's only because people are poor and can't afford it. But yet we're still putting it on the schedule that recommends this for children. That's despite what he just said. Now, listen, somebody whispers this to him and it's very strange. These routine vaccines in children. CDC does not yeah. Yeah. Right. And the CDC does not make the choice. Make sure you say the CDC does not make. That's what she's saying. And as as uh, as uh, Dr. Cohen is telling me, and again re- reminding me, which you should all know, is that uh, CDC doesn't make state recommendations for vaccination. Right? That is a state issue about what vaccines are are, are required for you school for school attendance. Right? So that's. That's another issue totally separate from this. Right. So just because the states make that decision does not mean that you did not just add it to the schedule. That's what happened. This is a sidestep of the reality. Now, here is the main point. All of that aside, because this is where we're getting mired in this. It's an important part of the conversation. But don't forget the real the crux of the issue here. Whether or not they force it on children in the schools, they all they just allowed themselves to be they are no longer legally accountable if i understand this correctly based on everything that's already happened they've got two of these things they claim are approved community and spike backs right and now they've added to the childhood schedule even if it's a bastardization around the backward side way this is what just happened and listen to rfk again tell you why this is important they're never going to market a vaccine allow people access to a vaccine an approved vaccine without getting liability protection. Now, the, the emergency use authorization vaccines have liability protection under the PREP Act and the CARES Act. So as long as you take an emergency use, you can't sue them. Once they get approved, now you can sue them, unless they can get it recommended for children. What? Because 
because all vaccines that are recommended, officially recommended for children get liability protection, even if an adult gets that vaccine. That's why they're going after kids. They know this is going to kill and injure a huge number of children, but they need to do it for the liability protection. Right. Now, just to reiterate the point, right, despite what their their weird little quasi sidestep at the end, just to be clear, let's look at what this is what's on the screen while they're voting. COVID-19 vaccine VFC vote approved for vaccines for children resolution for COVID-19 vaccines. Okay, so regardless of the words around what's happening, whether you say it's on the schedule for some other reason or not, there will be states that have already decided this is the right thing to do that will use this to justify their forced children, the mandates for schools. It's already beginning. It's already happening. Here is what people commented after the meeting finished today. I just, I'm not going to go through this too many. There's, I mean, every comment is what you would, might imagine. And it just shows you how incredibly obvious this is, that nobody is buying this. Just the first one. It's not right to push a vaccine in children that is not safe or effective. It does not stop transmission, so let parents choose. The CDC is losing all credibility. Let's, just look, let's look at the next one. I haven't even looked at most of these. Do not add the COVID-19 schedule to the children vaccines. People are not okay with this. Parents must not be forced to inject. You see, every single one. These are the people that are following this, that are commenting. Like, look for yourself. You need to realize that you are being led by the nose if you think that people are going along. I know there are some people out there. But by and large, even they're not taking the booster anymore. This has collapsed. It is time to capitalize on this reality. They will push it forward with nobody supporting them if we let it happen. Now, here's this is a great point to end on this segment before we get into the reality of how the lack of danger from COVID-19 in general. Forrest points out, for those of you shocked by the CDC's actions today, RE COVID vaccines on the child immunization schedule, you should know that the other shots weren't necessary either. Now, you could disagree with that, but it's something you should ask yourself. Hepatitis B is almost always sexually transmitted. CDC votes yes anyway. Necessary for infants. Like, that's a valid point. Just because there's a possibility doesn't mean you should force it on all children all the time. I mean, the point is, ask the question, guys. Open your mind to the reality that it may not just be this one thing. Kind of impossible to think that when you can see how clearly dishonest they're being. It's not just suddenly they woke up during COVID and decided to be dishonest. They're clearly dishonest. So start asking yourself whether there's much more going on that you're being lied to about. And he goes on to point out a bunch of them, by the way, but it's a valid point across the board. Now, talking about COVID-19 or whatever it is we're talking about, this was published on October 13th on a preprint. It says the infection fatality rate of COVID-19 among non oh the title is age stratified infection fatality rate, fatality rate of COVID-19 in the non-elderly informed from pre-vaccination national servo prevalence studies. The infection fatality rate of COVID-19 among non-elderly people in the absence of vaccination or prior infection, which is not really relevant in the context, so just put that's out, so that's off the table. We're not talking about either of those things, not, not natural immunity or vaccination, right? So the point is the infection fatality rate for people non-elderly. It's important to estimate accurately since 94% of the global population is younger than 70 and 86% is younger than 60. So when they apply the risk that's wildly slanted towards the elderly, and even that out across everybody, 
That's why we're being one of the many ways we're being deceived. 94% of the population is under 70. The global population. The point is the infection fatality rate. In this case, first, we're talking about, where was it? Uh, so it says for 29 countries, publicly available age ratified COVID-19 death data and age ratified information were available. And it says the infection fatality rate across the board at a 0.035% average. 0.035% infection fatality rate. I believe the case fatality rate, correct me if I'm wrong, regardless whether it's infection or I think it was the case fatality rate for flu was 0.1 to 0.2, right? We're talking 0.035% infection fatality rate, which is more severe for the 0 to 59-year-old population. That's current data taking multiple countries, studies around the world, and the reality is that you have a less chance of dying than the flu for most everybody. And a 0.095% for the 0 to 69 group. So add another 10 years to the 69 instead of 59, and it goes to 0.095. Almost the flu, but less. The me- And that's including the elderly in that case, but says the, me- the median, the average infection fatality rate for 19 and younger was 0.0003%. Now that's that's similar to the Oxford calculator. So it shows you that there's the overlap with even their mainstream arguments. The point is that if you are under 19 years old, you are dramatically, you don't need this, period. There's no way around it. You cannot pretend that children need this. It's especially if you get down to below five, below six month years old, how about just a year old? Because they're, they're talking about six months and up. It is impossible to argue this is a benefit. If we see one in 3,000, one to 5,000 risk of just myocarditis, ignoring strokes and blood clots and heart attacks and everything else, it's obvious that this is a criminal act. 0.003% infection fatality rate average from 20 to 29. 0.011, 30 to 39. 0.035% at 40 to 49, and finally we get into the wheelhouse of the flu. 0.129% at 50 to 59 years old. Now, of course, you get into the 60 to 69, that becomes 0.501. Now, I argue the reason that is so much higher is because those people, because you know, they're taking just data from around the world. Those ages were actively manipulated in the beginning of this. The U.S. was the same way in the U.K. and elsewhere. They were jammed into nursing homes. They were hurt by that. Whether there was COVID there or not, they created a situation that hurt these people. They, in the UK, they actively, they actively, I would argue, allowed them to die. That then translates to an increased at risk of death. I think that's pretty clear. But either way, the overall average from across the board is 0.035. It says including data from another nine countries. So that's 29 countries, but now you're adding another nine. I'm not sure why they did that, but adding it all together. So it's what, 38? Was it, it's the age distribution of COVID 19 deaths yielded an average infection fatality rate of 0.025 to 0.032 for 0 to 59 years old and 0.063 to 0.082 for 0 to 69. So, taking 38 countries and all the data from 69 below, you have under a 0.08% chance of dying. That's less than the flu, guys. There's no way around this. This is 
what we're dealing with. And they're using the argument that we're all going to die from this very non-deadly problem. And our, I argue it was just like this in the beginning. To push these things that increase your risk across the board, especially children. They say this suggested that basically it's just meta regression analyses of all of this suggested that the global infection fatality rate of 0.03 and 0.07 respectively in the age groups global around the world 0.03 0.07 none of which is even remotely close to the flu the current analysis suggests a much lower infection fatality rate in non-elderly populations than previously suggested yeah big surprise because we were lied to with this 3.6 percent rate of death by neil ferguson and the infection in the imperial college of london and we found out they lied to us we found out they knowingly manipulated the data guessed in fact and weirdly we still pretend like we're all going to die still to this day maddening as marianne points out phd New preprint shows infection fatality rate of non-COVID and non-elderly people was lower than previously suggested. Now, what they're saying is pre-vaccination. I mean, I think that goes without saying. When we're talking about the infection fatality rate of COVID, I don't know why co- the injection plays a factor unless you're talking about the efficacy of the injection, right? So, of course, it's pre-vaccination. We're talking, not, not to her, but the study. We're talking about what this is in general sense. And it's obvious that it's not dangerous for most everybody. I mean, even up to 59 years old. I mean, my God. Oh, and then and this down here, so the survival rate of non-elderly is a much better way to look at this. 99.9997% survival rate under 19. Go to 59 years old, you have a 99.871% survival rate. <laughs> Madness. Now, this is the push they're having or they're, they're selling us on to, to scare you about what's coming next. I mean, this is just about as ridiculous as it gets. The next U.S. COVID wave is coming. Why? It will be much weirder than before. Hmm. Odd choice of word. Is it more dangerous? Is it more deadly? It's weirder. I I mean, this seems an odd choice of words, isn't it? Does that mean? I mean, I think that seems to suggest that they don't know for sure. At the very least, it's going to be different. They're grasping at straws here, guys. October 13th. It says, unless you're a real-life virologist or unless you're enjoying playing one on Twitter, a little slight at the, at the people trying to understand what's going on, it has become pretty much impossible to keep up with all the latest coronavirus variants. First, they were named after Greek letters, like Omicron, easy enough. Then came a few short Star Wars-esque alphanumeric, like BA5, fine. But in recent weeks, COVID trackers have suddenly been subjected to a dizzying barrage of BA4, 6, and BA, BF7s, and BA2752s, and BQ11. There's even an ominous new XBB. Just, just every, just, I mean, most of these, if not all of them, if they even exist, are meaningless when you look at the information. Point something percent of this or that. And the point is they're just jamming. The, and as, as Dr. Yeadon pointed out, they're salience. They don't mean anything. Most of them are so blatantly not dangerous and such a small change, they just use them to hype up the fear. For most Americans, the bulk of whom appear to be over COVID anyway, like they're so upset about that. How dare you stop caring about what we're scared, telling you to be afraid of? That's far too many numbers and letters to grasp. Yeah, because you're just too stupid. That's what they're saying. Easier to just tune it all out, they say. Call me when there's another wave on the way. Well, now there might be. Oh, there might be. Is that different than yesterday or the day before? That could you could all die tomorrow. There might be something next week. 
So because there might be something, be afraid. This is what they were selling you on, telling you before. Pandemics of fear. The latest, the last big variant of concern, Omicron offshoot BA5, peaked in July. <laughs> oh, really? You mean, so they were making the bivalent shot after they knew this was already on the decline? Yes, and they're going to admit that now. Since then, reported U.S. cases have plummeted by 70%. While far too many Americans are still dying of COVID each day, nearly 400 on average, the rate has returned to pre-BA5 lows. It's a moment of relative calm. <laughs> right, so first of all, 400 a day, when in taken in context with other things like plenty of other problems, it's not as crazy as it might sound, but people die. That's sad. It happens, but it should be concerning in any case. But the reality is we're taking people dying of a lot of different things and calling it COVID. They admit that. So now we're at the point where we're still doing all of that. We're still combining flu and pneumonia, as it says PIC right on their website, or the fact that we're naming symptoms COVID with liberal tests and PCRs to give false positives. They'll admit all of that. The problem is that it's gotten so relative calm that that means the 400 number is not real. So it's even less than that, like it always has been. But now we're at a point where they're grasping at straws. And so they're just hyping the number as we can't allow foreign Americans to die every day. Well, no one's saying that. What we're saying is we're in no position to argue we're all going to die tomorrow or that everything's so we're in a pandemic, an emergency, and we have to force injection. That wasn't justified to begin with, let alone right now. But this is why they're grasping. Omicron has started to splinter. They say, we may be entering the next phase of the pandemic. I thought we were out of the pandemic phase. They just, it doesn't even matter anymore. Fauci says that. They tell us we're, the, Biden says the pandemic's over. <laughs> but apparently we're just going to the next phase because they don't know. They're not the ones making up the narratives, apparently. Or maybe they are. How stupid is that? None of this makes sense. Thanks to layers of immunity from vaccination and prior infection, plus life-saving treatments like Paxlovid, we will almost certainly never regress to the horrific era of the ICUs and all the stuff they manufactured and lied about and jammed and all the stuff that they had a hand in lying to you about. But the point is because of these other things, because of the injection you got that's destroying your immune system and has no effect on the current problem we're dealing with, or because of the fact that you've got natural immunity, which is the only thing I would argue as a relative point in there, but whether we were dealing with something that was real or not is up for debate. And Paxlovid, the thing that doesn't work for people under 65, but causes you to get COVID and increases all, of, all sorts of other things. But because of all those terrible things, we're, of course, we're never going to go back. I just don't even know how these people have a job. What scientists are seeing now is a bunch of worrisome Omicron descendants arising simultaneously, but independently in different corners of the globe. Yeah, that sounds like it makes sense, right? Instantly. Out of, all simultaneously, at different corners of the globe, we're seeing different things happen instantly at the same time. Where are the scientists right now? Where are the logical people that are going to go, well, that's not true. That's not what's happening, clearly. But no, because narrative and, and COVID danger and whatever else. Experts call this convergent evolution. And right now, there's a fairly unprecedented amount, right? We're baffled of it going on, according to Tom Peacock, another person from Imperial College London. Here we go, all over again. Let's start all over. Quote, they're getting the same mutations, which implies there's a very strong selective pressure in the environment right now. Which, of course, is people's immunity. Look at that. Oh, really? Did you really just say what we've always been trying to tell you, but been called conspiracy theorists for? The fact is that it's not the unvaccinated, guys. That's not what's happening. That's always been the reality. And they finally let that out of the bag in this statement because that's the truth. 
the argument that it's the unvaccinated somehow spreading, the, even though that's the point, guys, the people spreading this more than anybody, their own data shows are those that are injected. They simply go, well, it reduces their illness. And therefore, it's the people that aren't. They'll spin their way out of a paper bag here. But the, the point is, if it's the people's immunity causing selective pressure, that's the injections we're talking about. Of course, you could argue it's natural immunity, too, but you have to include the injection. So they went out of their way to argue that it was the people that had no play in this, that weren't getting sick, that didn't have an injection, that were somehow causing this to mutate. But then they talk about transmission, and then we can prove they're the most the ones spreading it the most. And finally, they admit that it's them doing this. And all the old information makes that clear. The leaky vaccine argument is everywhere you can look before COVID-19. If you're getting the injection and still getting sick, that's guaranteed to increase the risk of variants and spread and everything else. I mean, it, it, it's this is my same point as always. They, they can't turn in any direction right now without contradicting something they've already lied about. And there you go. An expert speaking on the record and saying, of course, it's the people with immunity. <laughs> it's just incredibly obvious. Experts are most concerned about the two Omicron spinoffs that have barely even registered in America yet. BQ11 and XBB, apparently. We're most concerned about the things were not even happening yet in this country anyway many of these treatments were abandoned after prior variants rendered them useless <laughs> even within their narrative over and over this goes right for quickly take the new thing that has already stopped working but get it anyway before you get the next 13 things that also don't work before you get the new thing that does kind of work before we get the next one that doesn't i mean it, it, there's no logic to this this is why even the people that first got it are stopping Think about how much that shows you when the people that were screaming that you're de killing grandma suddenly go, I'm going to quietly not do this anymore. It's very clear. That leads to the second cause for concern. They claim increased spread. The experiments have shown that XBB in particular is, quote, significantly more immune evasive against plasma from all breakthrough infections. So, again, we're talking about the vaccinated here. That's what breakthrough infections means. They're apparently quietly admitting that it's the vaccination spread. I guess it's because they could try to argue that everybody's been vaccinated, but that's not the truth. They just stopped talking about the unvaccinated. Think about how obvious that is. The point is they're the ones continuing to make these, and they just kind of pretend it's everybody that has these injections, including the recent BA5 infections, other than other known variants. It says, so while less vulnerable people might not get easily seriously ill if they catch BQ11, or BXBB, meaning that it's not dangerous, guys, vaccination and or prior infection may be less likely than ever to stop them from catching it in the first place. Okay, so if average people are not at dangerous risk, then this is not dangerous. If all we're talking about is the people that are vulnerable in the hospital, well, they're always in danger, in danger because they're vulnerable, because they're immune compromised. And the reality is the injection makes that far more, far more dangerous. But if we're just going to simply move forward arguing that anybody vulnerable could possibly get sick, therefore everybody has to be on lockdown, then we're never going to leave our houses. We're always going to be forced to take injections. And guess what? That's the point. In turn, well, you know, many other things included, whether it's lockdowns, injections, or climate change, it, the point is that they can control your life. In turn, the more the virus circulates, the more chances it has to reach people who could get seriously ill. And there's the same point. Isn't that the same as the flu? Yes. But see, that's what they're going to try to side this into, that, well, the flu is just as equally dangerous because vulnerable people, and suddenly you get the same argument of why Canada's suggesting you need to get your flu shot too. It's all in the same direction. They're changing the dynamic here. You're not in danger. So we need to stand up and say, no, 
as Corbett once said, this stops when we stop it. And we're there. We've been there for a while. But more chances has to reach more people, which is spreading, which is not stopping transmission. That's the creation. It's like they want to continue to create these things, probably so. And as U.S. booster rates falter, less than 5%, guys, less than 5% have received their updated shot. And as earlier vaccine protection wanes, which was like 30 seconds after they got it, the ranks of the susceptible may grow larger. Again, so just because people are vulnerable does not mean that everybody has to change their lifestyle. The fact that the virus is suddenly evolving in the same evasive direction everywhere at once suggests that most of the world should brace for an impact sooner than later. Again, where are the logical people out there that understand the science behind this? And even Fauci has made comments about this. This does not happen, especially exactly the evolving in different directions simultaneously everywhere at once. That's just silly. I guess I'll be the only one to make the argument at the moment, but we'll see. The U.S. overall COVID cases are still going down. But, okay, here we are. So COVID cases are going down. Cases, by the way. We've long since talked about hospitalization and death because it's we are living through a less than the flu problem and always have been, by the way. But these new things, that's all it is. It's hype about the unknown. That's all they have, and that's what they've had for a long time now. Nearly all Americans have been vaccinated and were exposed to the virus at some point. That was one of their first sidesteps before they were pretending. Remember that moment they said natural immunity wasn't real? You know, they never really digest, they never really addressed that. They just suddenly started allowing it to be talked about. Just like transmission and the lab and the masks and everything else. The allowable flow of conversation. But it says, and both forms of immunity will continue to blunt severe disease and decouple deaths from cases. Well, not true. Because the vaccination part of this is not doing that. That's the truth. It's actually increasing your risk. But they just love to lump it all together because you can show that natural immunity, in a general sense, does have an effect. But Americans, especially the elderly and immunocompromised, quote, or not quote, but it's the article, will be less protected than experts say they should be. So again, they're proving to you, if we're only talking about a little more danger than normal for the elderly and compromised, that doesn't sound like we're all going to die, does it? They'll be less protected than they should be. By further broadening immunity, the new bivalent boosters are the best defense we have. Yeah, right. So... This whole article is talking about how we're already transitioning to the new variants, but go ahead and take the thing that's no longer useful now. But make sure you first get the other two things that aren't useful before you take this one that's not useful before we make give you the next one that'll include the new variants as they already start changing tomorrow. The CDC data has already shown that vaccine protection against COVID hospitalization fell from more than 80% to roughly 50 to 60 during various Omicron waves. So explain that to me. Explain to me how exactly they have some kind of percentage efficacy about hospitalization reduction when they never studied that. And all they're doing is looking at the real world data. So how do you know that the hospitalization was reduced? They assume that and they argue because these people didn't go to the hospital. Therefore, we're showing a reduction. That's not how that translates. What if it's natural immunity involved? What if it's the fact that there's any number of, like the fact that they include all the real world examples of what if they wore a mask or whatever else, which I I do not think, which increases the risk. My point is they will argue that when they want to add something to it. The point is, this is not something they know. They're assuming that. And the truth is that they never studied it to begin with. And the other truth is that it increases their risk across the board. But it says without boosters and with more evasive variants, it's likely to further slip. 
For most U.S. residents, the new escape variants will be more of an inconvenience than a threat this winter. Okay. So for most people, it's not really a big deal. I don't understand what this is if they're telling you that it's not dangerous. Will Pi, another radically new variant like Omicron, come next? Or is this all part of a process of settling into some sort of cold-like stability? Or can both be true at the same time? Something is happening with SARS-CoV-2. Something big! They, nobody knows what's going on. They are all guessing, and the ones that guess in the direction of you're all going to die, they're the ones that get airtime. That's how this works. The point is, we have no clue. Could it be dangerous? Might it not be? Maybe both? I don't know. But something big certainly happening. That's what, we're, that's what they're saying. When scientists don't know how to explain stuff, it is the responsible thing to say we don't know yet. Yeah, well, then explain to me why that never happens. Explain to me why they all seem to say they know. And the reality being is the ones that say they don't know don't get put in the news, right? The ones that say we don't know, they get skipped because they're honest. Even this person didn't say we don't know, but she went on to say all sorts of things. Something big's coming and we don't. So you didn't do that. So you're not responsible. Very strange. Here is a clip from Australia where they're hyping the hell out of the idea that we don't know what's happening, but you could die from that. <laughs> this is the reality of the this is the corporate media hyping the unknown as you better do what you're told or we're all going to die. We're playing Russian roulette with COVID simply by hopping on a tram. That's the warning from SA's top epidemiologist tonight. Live now to Andrea Nicholas and Andrea, he believes thousands of South Australians are wandering around infected. Oh, he believes. So what's your evidence there? Are you guessing? Yes, he's guessing. He goes, I think, it's my opinion, that everybody everywhere is sick and we just don't know that. Well, doesn't that imply that it's not dangerous? Yes, it does. The bottom line is this is a guess, an assumption meant to scare people using the news, which means it's a propaganda piece. This is meant to sell you on the idea that you should get the vaccine. He does, Jane, and his prediction is that it could spell trouble when cases peak at Christmas. It, his prediction is that it could spell trouble when this hypothetical comes to pass that we don't know for sure will happen. Breaking news. Professor Adrian Esteman says with ISO rules dumped less than a week ago, our chances of catching COVID out and about in the community have soared, especially with mask requirements lifted in pharmacies, GPs and on public transport, where he says in a cramped train or tram carriage, it's likely at least three passengers are infected. Great. So because you guys stopped doing your masking, even though we told you to, it's your fault. And that's why it's happening, even though the masks increase the risk of infection. But who cares about the facts? All of this is meant to hype up the scaremongering tactics. That's what this is. Now, here is the high wire pointing out. Now, actually, I, unfortunately enough, it looks like I'm going to have to wrap this up short, guys believe i'm just trying to see if i want to i will get to all the rest of this in the new show i didn't plan on cutting short today but just you know life happens but let's see i want to make sure i'm not going to skip anything the point of this was that essentially we are actually i will play this i want to make a comment about ron DeSantis, and then and then i'm gonna i'm gonna decide where we'll stop while this is playing the point of this clip is one that nobody's taking the booster or rather the injection the new injection and what this shows you, but I think the important point as well is what DeSantis says at the end. Oh, you know, we have a new version of headlines again coming out. This is at Reuters, and they're talking about this new Omicron variant. The uptake has been dismal, and it looks like it's not going to get any better. Uh, it says here, two-thirds of U.S. adults don't plan on getting COVID boosters soon. That's a poll that was run. And so 
this is where we are, the state of the United States. The people are really just not trusting this. They're really understanding what perhaps natural immunity really entails. They're reading, but perhaps one of the people that really called it out best was Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. And he had this to say at a recent symposium. Take a listen. All right. We rejected the elites, um, and we were right. They're now trying to rewrite history, acting like they wanted kids in school all along. And we- So the elite, so the elitist that you're a part of. Okay, just to be clear, as he's about to run for president, let's not pretend like he's not part of the club that he's calling out. This is the same thing Trump did, just to be clear. I hope I'm wrong about him. I really do. We shouldn't let him get away with that. But we should also point out, not only were they wrong about schools, the elites were wrong about lockdowns. They were wrong about epidemiological models and the hospitalization models. Okay, all of which played out during Trump's administration, which Fauci was an appointee by Trump. And that's all that. That's how this went. Right. Like we can't decouple this from the obvious reality that Republicans played a role. Now, I don't care if you want to act now like you're changing your your tune. Now, And I hope you're honest about that. Like, I hope you are actually changing your tune and you believe it. But the point is, there was plenty of Republican states that did lockdown, that did force masks, that did do mandates. Guys, this is a problem that they're selling this. They're rewriting history in real time. Now, now you could obviously show a slant here, a very clear divide between Democrat, Republican and what they're doing. Of course, weirdly, right before the election. What do you know? Just watch as this plays out further. I mean, it's how this always goes. This is not a left-right paradigm issue, guys, and you can see that. You saw that during, the, they tried to make that the case, during this, even with the shots. There's plenty of Democrats out there that are aggressively against the mandates or the mask. I know plenty of them. The problem is that this is, the, they're trying to divide you within this issue. Now look, again, to stress, if, I am, if he turns out to save the planet, I will happily stand up and scream how wrong I was. I just I can't believe we're about ready to fall for this again. I'm just tired of the cycle, the hamster wheel. They were wrong about forced masking. They were wrong when they rejected the existence of natural immunity. They were wrong about the efficacy of the mRNA vaccines. You mean Trump's vaccine that he still stands behind? Who exactly are you talking about? Who is this elitist one side that was wrong about all this that the the Republicans stood up against? Right. I mean, come on. Trump's Operation Warp Speed was why this injection came to pass. It's not the the Democrats vaccine now. Right. I mean, come on this. We need to be able to be smart to see past this stuff. And they were wrong when I said this, that uh, COVID was seasonal. Now they admit it, uh, but they didn't when it was obvious that that was the case. Aha. And so even right there. What about those on the right that believe it's not even real? What about those on the right that believe that the that the inject that the well, how about the fact that what he just said is that we will have it all the time, so there will be an injection. Now I argue, well, it's hard to say with the legislation we've seen and the weird things within it that seem to suggest that should they want to, they can force us on people. And even if though he argued that it was that was removed and so on, the problem here. Hold on. I said this, that uh, COVID was right, season- seasonal. So the idea being that this is solidifying that it will always be here and that we have shots that you could take and so on in the seasonal cycle of this. I just, I mean, I don't, that's, that's a, I don't feel like that's honest in regard to where, so everything else he's arguing and then you argue that it is something that will be ubiquitous. That concerns me. Just my take. Now they admit it, uh, but they didn't when it was obvious that that was the case. So on almost every major significant issue, 
these elites who would show up on cable news or be wherever, uh, you know, they were wrong, and they got it wrong time and time again. And so we also served in Florida as a roadblock to what I think would have taken hold in this country if it weren't for our leadership, and that's a biomedical security state. If you look at what they were trying to And look at that. I mean, is this the equivalent of Trump talking about 9-11 and JFK? Right? You're going to use the buzzword, the biosecure. Like, that's what we're talking about. I just, I, I, God, I just, I'm not going to keep stating my opinion. I don't buy this. I do not buy this. I don't buy the buzzword talking points to hype up the idea that this guy's on our side. I don't buy it. To do with forcing of vax and passports and all these different things, uh, this country would look a lot different right now if people like me hadn't stood up and said, not on my watch. You're not doing that here. Mm, right. Just, just take all the credit. Right. I'm, I hope I hope I'm wrong. I really do. But the sad part about this, guys, is that this is all the stuff he's talking about was initiated under Trump's administration. You just can't ignore that, at least address that. But I believe let me just pull this down real quick. Again, sorry that I'm wrapping up a little early here, guys, early three hours. But yeah, there's there's a good amount. What I was going to try to fly through here was the risk in general. And I'll go into this more in the next show, probably tomorrow. Can't promise, but, you know, the risk of all this stuff, what we're seeing, this kid passing out during choir solo, right? The dramatically increased mysterious cause of people dying around the world that we can't prove everywhere. Neonatal problems, excess death. I mean, it's just it's just overwhelming. I'm going to get into the genetic, the gene therapy overlap, cancer, a global epidemic of cancer, young, young people. Yeah, weird because it's it just kills me how obvious all of this is. And then a digital ID part at the end and the risks and so on. Yeah, we'll wrap it up here, guys. I apologize for the abrupt end. But I think at the end of the day, just having the you know the information we have in front of us today about the risks and, and the hiding it and the, the forced push for children, there's nothing about this that makes sense. And we all feel that. Just by going over this every day, like we feel it. We can feel that there's something problematic happening. And I want, I want us to lean into the fact, and especially across the party paradigms, that people see it too. As we've been saying from the very beginning, you're not alone. And we can see that now, right? With 5% taking the next thing. You're not alone. Party, the party lines are not there for this. People see that we're being deceived. We need to capitalize on that. Cross those party lines and show people that we're on the same side. They're the ones doing this to us, not the other way around, not us against ourselves. That is the most important thing we can do right now. We need to circumvent that two-party paradigm because it is breaking the logic of people we need to be on our side. Thank you for standing up, guys. You inspire me every day. And thank you all out there for continuing to support us. You know, Right now, The Last American Vagabond is simultaneously being attacked more than ever struggling when it comes to being able to maintain what we're doing, but also simultaneously building, <laughs> which I don't know why that makes sense, but we're doing it anyway. And we're growing and adding new projects and so on. So we need your support guys. The more you can support this platform, the more you can reach out and, and help us continue to grow, the more change we can affect. That's what we're trying to do. So the donation buttons on the platform or buying our t-shirts from truthclothing.io or any other way. There's a lot of ways we can be supported. We need your help. I love you all. As always question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.
Tonight, keeping drug companies honest, a story that's simply stunning about multi-million dollar profits and illegal activity at this country's biggest drug company. The Justice Department alleges Johnson & Johnson boosted sales by paying millions of dollars in kickbacks to pharmacists and doctors who pushed the drug Risperdal to patients who did not need it. The medical editors of that journal accused the drug company Merck of misleading them about the dangers of Vioxx, of hiding the fact that it caused even more heart attacks than previously known. Johnson & Johnson paid $2.2 Eli Lilly paid $1.4 Pfizer and its subsidiary paid $2.3 And GlaxoSmithKline paid out a record $3 billion. For seven years, Glaxo failed to report data showing its best-selling diabetes drug. Avandia increased the risk of heart attack by as much as 40%. Opioid epidemic has killed more than 400,000 Americans. Tonight, Purdue agreeing to pay more than $8 billion in penalties. Antidepressant Paxil wasn't approved for use by patients under 18. The company illegally marketed the drug for use by children, even when a clinical trial found teenagers who took the drug for depression were more likely to commit suicide than those taking a placebo. Purdue Pharma pleading guilty to felony charges of defrauding federal health agencies and violating federal kickback laws for inducing doctors to prescribe those powerful opioids. Glaxo also hired a company to write a medical journal article downplaying the risks. The firm used PR firms and paid several doctors, including the U.S. celebrity doctor, Drew Pinsky, to promote the drug. If you can't trust medical research that gets published in very established journals, what can you trust? But as Bob Orr reports, the massive settlement may not lead to much change. Is fraud the business model of the pharmaceutical industry? No one's going to jail. No one's going to prison. And worse yet, they've set up a situation where Purdue is going to be able to continue on. You look at this thing, and I mean, if Pfizer is too big to fail, and even the biggest fine in history is just a few months' profit, then what's going to stop it from illegally promoting other drugs? Critics say Anderson nothing.